King of the Ring is serious business. A fabled history and heralded past. I cannot believe this moment right here. The King of the Ring. Kings become champions. You win the King of the Ring, you become an immediate player. And champions become legends. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Eight men on the verge of superstardom. Only one will be crowned King. Boy, a lot of emotions running high here tonight. is the most important thing in my life. Are you great competitors going to get sucked into that old divide and conquer strategy? Who the hell do you think you are? Defeat either one of the three of us, and that person will be the Horrible Prospect Federation championship is what I want. That belt, it belongs to me. Just bring it. Six men, one championship. It will be who wants it more. My name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we are going back in the time machine to June of the year 2000 to bring you all your WWF coverage including a full review of the King of the Ring pay-per-view. Joining me we have Rory McNamara. Rory, great to have you back on. How are we doing? And great to be back Chris. I'm doing fantastic. Good stuff. Rory, I have some uh, news headlines for you. Um, If I go through them, would you kindly take us through each story? I would be very happy to. Perfect. And the uh, the first headline I've got here is same WWF time, different WWF channel. Yes, as first revealed on these programs some months ago, the WWF are moving their flagship shows from the USA Network to Viacom-owned TNN. Raw on the new channel is scheduled to begin from the middle of September, with the deal running for five years. There is even the future possibility of WWF broadcasting on CBS. The dispute over this has been a long-running one, and this month ended up in court. USA had the right to match the huge offer made by Viacom, itself clocking in at a grand total of some $12 million, but did so only for the weekly fees for the programmes. Themselves are not insubstantial $500,000 per week. As they didn't match the entire package offered by Viacom, including live network specials, crossover opportunities on the UPN network, and I quote other perks, they didn't come up to snuff. Prior to the court case, WWF released a very WWF brief, and I quote as follows. To be blunt, USA Cable's argument is more honestly stated as a desire to save corporate face for letting the crown jewel of cable programming get away from it without ever having made a serious financial proposal to WWFE to keep it. There you go, the crown jewel of cable programming. (sighs) 
always working. Anyway, carrying on. Once the factual and legal wheat is separated from the chaff, the simple reality is that USA seeks to have this court do what it chose not to do, negotiate and form a contract with WWFE. It then dismissed USA's contribution as virtually nothing. In the courtroom itself, Vince McMahon, son's neck brace this time, made the questionable claim that USA was to blame for WCW beating him in the ratings at 83 weeks, plus the slightly more reasonable one that momentum was lost by preemptions for the US Open and, oh yes, the Westminster Dog Show. It was these preemptions, in addition to the much larger offer made by Viacom, that helped the judge rule in the favour of the broadcaster and the WWF. It emerged afterwards that the case went to court after USA chairman Barry Diller had been recommended by Vince that they should run no wrestling show on their network for three years after the WWF left. Treating that with the contempt it deserved, Diller tried his luck in front of the beak. Despite being almost certain he would lose, he was at least safe in the knowledge his station's programming would cover any legal fees, whereas WWFE would have to fork out themselves. Touché. As a postscript to this, the cable trade journal Multichannel News reported the following in their June 12th issue. WCW parent Time Warner Inc. may have held talks with the WWFE executives about acquiring WWF programming or, and this intrigued me, merging the rival outfits. USA subpoenaed Time Warner to turn over any and all documents that relate to any plans or proposals to merge or otherwise enter into a business combination affecting the WWF and WCW, according to court records. The plot thickens. King of the Ring, a dirty rascal. It was indeed. Uh, in front of a crowd, a very hot crowd, it must be said, in Boston, Massachusetts on June the 25th, the latest King of the Ring pay-per-view was held, and it was a rare misfire for the World Wrestling Federation. And how. Despite Kurt Angle, rightly, in my opinion, winning King of the Ring, and The Rock, rightly, becoming WWF champion again, albeit in very convoluted circumstances. There was very little else to enjoy on the show. The worst pay-per-view for quite a long time, if you want my opinion. And you're going to get a lot more of it a bit later on in the show. Increase in new WWF drug testing. Yes, the WWF have increased the frequency of their random drug tests over the past few weeks. Uh, this increase is said to be motivated by a threat of a New York State Senator's bill threatening to test for drugs since the WWF did not. Uh, also, more wrestlers than in the recent past have been showing signs of excessive recreational drug use, uh, pill problems and marijuana, interestingly, becoming as big a problem as the WWF have ever had, according to some reports backstage. And just think of the ground that covers. And of course, with the XFL taking Vince McMahon's profile sky high, as much as he would like anyway, the possibility of media scrutiny is now higher than ever. The, as Wade Keller puts it in the torch this month, the pressure is on to not be careless when it comes to any recreational drug use. Possible new arrivals. Uh, yes, not unconnected to the previous story, Stephen Regal has been showing very positive signs of clearing up his act. Uh, he attended the SmackDown taping in Nashville this month. The smart money is on the fact he will be joining the WWF again, maybe appearing on television as soon as next month, although he hasn't quite confirmed a deal as of yet. Raven intriguingly too met with the wwf this month had official talks with them uh, he's been told he needs to show signs of getting healthy if you know what i mean by that which has in turn made ecw rather angry them asking well if he can get in shape 
for the World Wrestling Federation. Why could he not do so for us? So watch this space again on that one. Kurt Hennig was backstage at a house show in Minneapolis. However, the Federation are still showing concerns about his injury proneness, plus the fact that his attitude over recent years might upset the reportedly very good atmosphere backstage. And one person who did return to our screens this month was Mick Foley in a commissioner role in the final week of TV, and we will discuss that later on as well. Pile driven out of town. Yes, this is an interesting one. After a near miss suffered by Triple H, uh, who else, at the hands of The Undertaker in the last second of the Iron Man match at Judgment Day last month, and again when the show went off the air from St. Louis, Missouri in Raw this month, a memo went out, an internal memo went out to all WWF employees stating that the pile driver, the tombstone, and all other variants of it have effectively been banned. With Steve Austin still on the sidelines from what happened to him at SummerSlam 97, it makes sense for the top wrestlers to develop finishes he can take in particular for whenever he does come back. Uh, Shane McMahon also suffered a very close call recently as well, apparently. Those of you with long memories, however, will recall that Kane delivered the tombstone in the main event at the King of the Ring. Although it has been modified slightly that it's going to be done on a case-by-case basis, whether or not you can do the power driver or the tombstone. I think it's going to be a case of who you are that permits you to do so. But the WWF finally showing real signs of taking care of their employees not to be sniffed at and not before time. Thank you uh, very much, Rory, taking us through the news. Excellent job as always. Um, <laughs> certainly out of all the stuff you said there one thing really got my attention the, the potential very preliminary rumoured talks about this potential merging of the WWF and WCW like what do you make of this like is it just sort of like media talk like surely that can't be in the pipeline least of all from the Turner side of things like what do we make of this? Well, it came up in the court records. And just in case you know, a certain one of our number is listening to this show, far be it from me to argue with what is discussed within those four walls. But I could not find any other recourse or reference to this anywhere else other than the rumours, and these have not been substantiated. I think this is just paper talk, really, that WCW themselves might be in line for a TNN slot within the next three years that would upset Vince McMahon. But I believe that's just tittle-tattle. There's no real corroboration to that. So other than that, this is just something for us to muse over, I think, that I would love to know what these talks were, because apparently they were instigated by Time Warner themselves, judging by the wording of the statement. I think this is one to watch. Who knows? It might well have passed over by the time we're even recording this show but it made it into multi-channel news they're fairly reputable it was discussed within the courtroom in delaware i wonder i just wonder but surely not so uh out of the rest of that so courtroom aside quite a big newsworthy month like pay-per-view king of the ring we'll get into but as you said not the greatest show and certainly well below the uh average for wwf in the year 2000 what do you make of the possible new arrivals to the roster anyone you'd like to see them bring in out of the rumored names or anyone you think they should definitely steer clear of 
Uh, that's a promising lineup. Raven was the one that really caught my eye, unless he's coming back as Johnny Polo, and I don't think he will be in different times and all that. Then I'm not convinced that the WWF will get the Raven character, but I'm sure they bloody won't. WCW didn't, and they tried the Frock stuff, and they gave up pretty soon after that, and he pissed off back to ECW, where he has been doing okay for the last nine months or so. But he's older than you might think, Raven. He's 36. And that one really surprised me. I'd have put him at a good four or five years younger than that, but there you are. Um, he's probably cashed in a fair few bumps on his own own bump clock. Probably aren't too many left to go until he hits the red zone, so a move to the WWF if they are approaching him for talks. I can see why he would want to do it. But from a creative standpoint, I'm not so sure. Regal, I'm sure like most of us on this show, I'm a fully paid up fan. Again, if they just get it right and they just let the guy wrestle, no more real man's man, chopping wood and lumberjack shirts and all of that game. They've got the roster now with the people who can really adapt to him and give him the chance, work with him and give us some, a few more snowflakes on the stars. So if that happens, and it looks like it will be, and he has cleaned up his act, I'm very excited about that one. But I'm with the WWF on their supposed cold feet about Hennig. I think, as he proved in WCW in-ring last couple of years, the ship has long since sailed there. Yeah, he, he for one, he's the one for me that would really stand out as sort of one to avoid not not that it would be a disaster necessarily but i think the wwf's roster has come such a long way um in a relatively short amount of time like you don't have to go back too far and th- we've got a lot of <sighs> i don't i don't a, a lot less work rate within the mid card and i mean far be it from me to criticize kurt hennig at his peak but uh, maybe the Kurt Hennig that you'd be getting in the year 2000 isn't someone that I would necessarily necessarily be clamoring to throw into the mid-card ranks. Um, and I definitely couldn't pitch him higher on the card than that at this stage of the game. So he's definitely one for me that I'd steer clear of. Raven is definitely the most exciting. I For me, I, I agree with you there. That's probably, um, yeah, same wavelength, really. I think he could be really interesting. I'd love to see him in the company mixing it up with some of the guys they got in the mid card here. I mean, King of the ring was quite demoralizing for people who are fans of a lot of these talents with the exception of Kurt Angle, of course. Um, but when you've got people like uh, people who aren't even on the show, like you've still got Malenko, you've got Saturn, you've got uh, Benoit, you've got Jericho, you've got Guerrero, get Raven in there as well. That's some serious talent in the middle mm. of your show. That's some serious work rate in the middle of your pay-per-views. And maybe not considering his age, which I have to say has caught me off guard as well, but that's some serious potential on your roster as well. So that would be another big move um, in my mind. Um, I'd like to touch on the pile drivers as well. Um, is it... I... I mean, we all know what happened to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, and it's been a few years since then. And I I, I don't know if <laughs> when I look at some of the bumps that, that happen on the WWF's roster, uh, on the WWF's programming, on their pay-per-views, on their weekly TV, I don't know that pile drivers are like top of the list for most reckless and dangerous things they do, which... The vast majority, vast majority of the time, thankfully, relatively safe and um, 
easy to execute move that the majority of their very well trained and competent roster can pull off pretty much all of the time. Um, I don't know if it, a part of this makes it feel more sort of PR stunty than mm. than actual actual improvement um, when you're still going to have stuff like Tory taking the table bump and and the the bump that Shane took in the main event of King of the Ring um, with a choke slam through the announce table to the outside. Um, I might be a bit harsh here. Is this is this a case of me just sort of downplaying a genuinely good move from the WWF with the performers' well-being at, at the heart of it, or am I right to be slightly more cynical? You're you're never wrong to be cynical as far as the WWF are concerned, Chris. Um, I think we need to praise them when they deserve it, and it is a good move. But I do think also that it is a bit after the horse has bolted. Austin's injury at the hands of an errant pile driver was almost three years ago. And in many ways, we've come a long, long, long way since that, for better and for worse. Uh, banning the pile driver now, and even then, only unofficially, like I say, it's on a case-by-case basis. Publicity stunt is a probably a fair description. It's understandable that we're probably arching our eyebrows when we're talking about this. I'm, I don't want to damn them for doing what on paper is a laudable thing because that is what it is. It is at least taking into some account the safety of their performers. But when you're still getting what we get on our shows on a daily basis, every Raw, every SmackDown, every pay-per-view, every house show, if you read some of the reports, then it's not going to have a great deal of impact, pun intended. So, uh, before we get to the King of the Ring pay-per-view, we've got the world of WWF television to traverse for the month. Um, Initially, I know we see a hell of a lot more of him throughout the month, but um, before we get into June for The Undertaker, I'd like to give you a chance to sort of tell us what you made of The Undertaker's return uh, last month at Judgment Day, his new look, his new music, his new entrance, the whole character. Um, what did you, what were your initial thoughts on Undertaker and how did that sort of develop throughout the month as we got to see more of him? Hey, on these programmes, uh, The Undertaker has been a complete perma-presence, understandably, since we started doing this nearly seven years ago now. And you could pick any WWF show where he was an active member of the roster, i.e. anything other than the first half of 94. And you will get one of our contributors making the suggestion that it's time for the Undertaker character to change. There have been alterations, some rather grand scale ones. Satanist Undertaker. We all have we could all do with less embalmings that famous discussion of Survivor Series 98 show <laughs> for example uh, a, a legendary one there from from Mr. Walling and now they've really gone the whole hog with it again pun intended I'm full of it today by having him be a character who I rather would suggest and postulate is not a million miles away from the real Mark Calloway uh, i I have no doubt he is the person who regularly rides around on bikes carrying bags of chewing tobacco around with him. 
and snorting to anybody who'll listen and anybody who won't listen about how much money he makes. Uh, that's that. For such a supernatural character for whom it's taken a lot of swallowing to suspend disbelief for, this is as real as it gets. But with that, you're gonna have to endure everything else that comes with it. In his promo with Vince on SmackDown at the end of May, when he talked about signing up to a fat contract, I didn't know at the time he was going to take that quite so literally. He hasn't been punishing himself over the last nine months in the gym, I think it's very fair to say. I do wonder if the Tombstone semi-ban might have something to do with the fact that he is not an especially safe worker at the moment. He has not been bringing it in the ring. He's had his opportunities to do so, but he's been taking it very easy in there. Because so much of the WWF fan base these days, because let's face it, their fan base is now national across the country, if not international, a lot of people see a lot of themselves in this iteration of The Undertaker, and I get it, and he's still as over as he ever was. His music probably helps there, but he's still getting the cheers. But when I see him meandering around the ring and killing off Edge and Christian, then demolishing their corpse on the final Raw and SmackDown of the month, I find it hard to get too excited by it. Yeah, I think that's an entirely fair assessment. Um, I mean, the the biggest changes maybe like they needed to be more i think um and certainly you're uh, right to comment on his uh, gym work rate in the in his absence uh, which i think is very notable as you're so you're right to point that out i i i think i was initially intrigued and then throughout the month the more we see from him and the more we hear from him and the more we see him wrestle the more i'm just a bit meh about the whole thing um, which is a shame because I think uh, I ended last month's show in quite a positive place with The Undertaker and we hadn't seen too much of him um, last month. It was mainly the, the pay-per-view and, and then a couple of TVs afterwards. But I, I thought it was a character that was more befitting of WWF in the year 2000 than anything we'd seen from him basically since the beginning of this project. He, he That... That character, they they made it darker. They changed it up, as you said, Satanist, and uh, all everything we've seen from the Undertaker in recent years. Um, I don't know how much that really works um, in the current climate within professional wrestling. So I think to become relevant and stay as popular and and high up the card as the Undertaker has permanently been, he did need to change. But I don't think they've capitalized on it and i don't think they've made the most of it and i do think when you look at it the blame has to probably almost entirely fall to him he's been thrust into the main event obviously it's it's been a bit of a mess and we'll get into that the main event scene um but on the mic and in the ring i think it i've kind of always anticipated to see more of this undertaker and then as i say every time i see more of this undertaker the enthusiasm wavers um 
which isn't promising when he's only been back a couple of weeks, but there's a lot of TV and to, to get through, there's a lot of WWF programming. We've got pay view every month and I'm not willing to write it off yet, but it's certainly not been a promising first month back. Um, th- for... Go on. Oh, definitely not. I think part of the problem here is that there's no place for him to hide now. Because he was never a work-rate Marvel, but you could at least cover it up by the fact that his character was a zombie who worked in a funeral home. It's easy to explain away as that is. And <laughs> if his matches were lumbering and slow and plodding and boring, that's because they were supposed to be. And let's be honest, the vast majority of matches in the early 90s, with a few notable exceptions, 85% of the roster at least, that's what you were getting. And in the year 2000, things are so different now. We talked about it earlier, the strength of the roster. Now, you'd better be able to have quite a huge connection with the crowd if all you do is chew tobacco, waddle around and hit dangerous tombstone pile drivers on people. There's no hiding place now. And I think that's why it's so prominent and it's got worse over the month. Right. Uh, with that, let's move on to discussing the very convoluted build to the main event of the King of the Ring pay-per-view. So on the 1st of June edition of uh, SmackDown, we uh, deal with the fallout of uh, the return of Kane, who had previously uh, returned on the last episode of Raw, helping The Rock and Undertaker against the McMahon-Helmsley regime. He uh, held up and stole the WWF title to close the episode of Raw and appeared on SmackDown holding the championship, telling Hunter that if he wanted it back, he'd have to come and take it. Hunter offered Kane a match against him, and if Kane can beat him, he'll be number one contender for the title, and Kane accepted. And it looks like within about five minutes of SmackDown, we've got our new WWF title direction sorted moving forward for about two minutes. (laughs) We cut away from this. We see Vince arriving on, in a limo backstage. The Undertaker rides up on his motorbike alongside. He's threatening and intimidating Vince, demanding a shot at the WWF title. Vince says that if The Undertaker can defeat X-Pac and Road Dogg in a handicap match tonight, he could be number one contender, and Taker agrees to the deal. Vince and Hunter congregate backstage, and they bicker, uh, both granting opportunities to uh, Taker and Kane, respectively. <laughs> while, while this is happening Shane is backstage with Edging Christian and he's telling them that if they beat The Rock they can get a tag title shot but he also insinuates that The Rock will also get a WWF title shot if he's able to beat Edging Christian so in about five minutes we've gone from no number one contender to three number one contenders potentially um, Kane, The Undertaker and The Rock could all become number one contender on the same night thanks to a lack of communication and cohesion within the McMahon-Helmsley ranks. So Taker won his match first, making short work of his DX opponents. Later in the show, Rock defeated Edge and Christian, and Kane defeated Triple H with the returning L. Hebner as referee. And just like that, one day into the month, we've got three number one contenders, Rory. As you do. <laughs> I mean, there's no one in the McMahon-Helmsley regime what do you want to call it? The faction or the faction, as it's been brilliantly known towards the end of the month. Do they not talk to each other? Do they not watch their own television program? Do they not watch the monitors that they have backstage in every dressing room up and down the country that we know they have because we see them watching them every Raw, SmackDown and pay-per-view up and down the country? Now, it gets a lot worse before it gets worse. Well, it doesn't get better during this month. It starts <laughs> bad and it gets worse, but very, very silly and just 
I could not swallow the fact that they would not communicate with each other. Now, Vince McMahon is manipulator 1.0. That's him. That's his character. The, the two are merged together in the eyes of viewers with good reason. There's no way that he would be this lackadaisical about it and let everybody put on the table that there could be three separate number one contenders matches. No, I just can't buy it. I just missed the days where somebody was named as the number one contender the day after the pay-per-view for the next pay-per-view, and we just had done with it. And, and I mean, I'm not Kane's biggest fan, but I have championed his course a number of times uh, on this program in, yes, in relation you to... You certainly have. <laughs> in relation to... that, Basically, my entire argument is that he's better than the big show, which I don't think many people are <laughs> going to argue against me. I'll give you that. Um, but, I, I mean... It looked like to me watching this episode of SmackDown initially. Okay, so we're going to do Hunter versus Kane, and we're also going to do The Undertaker versus Rock because obviously there could be a bit of bad blood there. Judging, although it was unintentional, The Undertaker did cost The Rock the title at the end of Judgment Day. So there's that's where we're going for King of the Ring. I can get on board with that. Like that that's that's more than enough to yes. keep me going for the next couple of weeks of TV through to the pay per view, and they threw it away within minutes. I know it's a, a very much a, a pro wrestling cliche, or should I say sports entertainment cliche at this stage, but if Vince McMahon would just turn up on time for his own goddamn show, then <laughs> he would have seen the promo with yes. Hunter and Kane. But he turns up in his limo, good 20 minutes into SmackDown, gets blindsided by The Undertaker, and, and, and that's that. Like, it's just... I don't know what Shane was doing, <laughs> what authority he thought he had to just say, oh, Rock, if you beat Edging Christian, then you can get a title shot too. Like, where did that come from? It made the least sense out of the three. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, certainly <laughs> a, a weird way to start the month. And uh, it, it, like you say, it, it doesn't get better from here. <laughs> on the first roar of the month, the, uh, the Fed did tackle the issue head on. Top of the second hour started with a triple threat match between... The Rock, The Undertaker, and Kane to determine the outline, outright number one contender for that shot at Triple H. Um, the Rock picked up the win after just three minutes. It was a very frantic match, featured lots of shenanigans and interference um, from Triple H, who was on commentary. Um, and uh, yeah, so that match decided the number one contender for a shot at the title that night. So again, uh, left with very little idea of what King of the Rings is going to look like. And in the main event of that episode of Raw, Triple H pinned the Rock to retain his title following a whole lot of inter interference on both sides. Um, and the finish saw that The Undertaker lay the Rock out with a chokeslam after Rock had accidentally hit The Undertaker in the back with a chair. So again, I thought heading finishing this the first Raw of the month, we could potentially head into that that program too of Kane and Hunter but, and then You've also got The Rock and Undertaker as the sort of co-main. Um, but that wasn't to be. <laughs> there was a big update during the direction of the main event scene the following week on Raw. During the opening promo segment between The Rock, Kane and Undertaker, Linda McMahon interrupted. She berated the trio for falling for divide-and-conquer tactics of her husband and Triple H, and she announced the main event for King of the Ring. It would be The Rock, Undertaker and Kane versus Triple H at Vince and Shane. On the 15th of June, uh, SmackDown, the stipulation was added that whoever picked up the win for the Babyface team would become number one contender for the title. If the McMahon Helm and if the McMahon-Helmsley team get the win, the number one contender would be the winner of the King of the Ring tournament. 
I like that. That's nice. We've got something at stake for both sides. But Vince, in his infinite wisdom, changed the following week on Raw, much to the chagrin of Hunter. Vince, attempting to prove the size of his grapefruits to Linda, changed the stipulation so that if Kane, The Undertaker, or Rock defeats anybody out of Hunter, Vince, or Shane, then they will become WWF champion. So potentially at King of the Ring, Kane could pin Shane McMahon and he would be WWF champion. Rory, it's been quite the mess, but six days before King of the Ring, we finally know what's at stake for our pay-per-view. And what do you make of it all? Uh, what do I make of it indeed? We were Just before we went up on air, Chris, I brought up the SummerSlam 99 build where China was the number one contender, then she wasn't, then she was, then she still was, then Mankind was. Then it was eventually a triple threat match between Triple H, Austin and Mankind for the title with China nowhere to be seen. Uh, I almost missed that after the nonsense, just the week by week incremental pain I was feeling that they were just so obviously trying to stretch this out. And yes, of course, they've got four hours of TV to fill every week. Five if you count heat. I understand that. You can't just fill your shows with squash matches anymore and promos. Of course you can't. You've got to advance things the best you can. I get that. But I just hated the way they went there. And Just look what we've had. Look what it's left in its wake. The eventual triple threat match where anybody can pin anyone on the heel team and win the title. That's just... Well, I'll talk about that more at King of the Ring. But Cliff's Notes version, fucking ludicrous. But look what we've had in the last couple of weeks we've had a three minutes 41 triple threat match between the rock the cane rock cane and the undertaker whatever you think of them 341 even on tv a triple threat match between those that is utterly absurd of course kane was the one who was pinned but of course he was you have triple h versus the rock part 4619 on TV, their match was okay, as it bloody well should be, given the previous 4,618 times they've wrestled. It was stacked full of interference, all right. But then you have the stuff with Undertaker and Rock at the end. And as you alluded to there, Chris, that would have been the time to pivot to a Rock Taker, neither one really trusts the other face v face mini feud where they eventually perhaps put their differences behind them, maybe after the King of the Ring pay-per-view, after a hard-fought respect match, something like that. And you give the title shot to Kane at the pay-per-view. It's King of the Ring. It's The title match isn't necessarily the most important thing. Perhaps not quite to the same disparity that you have on, say, the Royal Rumble pay-per-view and the title match there, but not far off. So Kane would be a reputable contender he's got some big wins under his belt he's over as a face i could buy him as one while you give triple h and rock a much needed month off but no we get all of this nonsense they tie in the mcmahon family drama because of course they do and by the time we got to the pay-per-view i was very very close to not caring which i think is the only logical and fair fan reaction to the mess we had and it's the opposite you want going into a pay-per-view. Um, yeah. Uh, I do think this was worse than that SummerSlam build. But that might very much be a case of recency bias. In my analysis. <laughs> still all, all too fresh in your mind. If we yes. went to watch those Raws in August, that might have another chance of contendership again. Yes, I think, I think that may well be the case. But as this is fresh and I'm watching it week by week, 
this is this is bad. It's just outright bad. And you have no business having a main event scene that's bad that features The Rock, Triple H, The Undertaker, and Kane. Let alone when you've got Vince McMahon on the mic as well. You have no reason that your program should be a detriment to the show when you've got those men involved. And it was. It was a mess. Um, the the pay-per-view itself, um, I, I quite liked the stip when it was like... You, the idea that whoever wins can be number one contender, but if they don't win, then the King of the Ring gets the shot, and, and we'll get into it on, in the review, but you see Kurt Angle watching the uh, the main event in a monitor backstage because he's got a keen eye. He wants to be number one contender too, and I, I think that's that's okay as a that's dynamic, um, but it's just how they got there and how they stayed there um, was, uh, yeah, certainly not a fan of that. Um, but w- and to say more would to would take away from our King of the Ring review. So uh, with that, I think it's time for us to start that King of the Ring pay-per-view review. Uh, Rory, would you kindly kick us off with the results? Gladly, gladly. So King of the Ring 2000, emanating from the Fleet Centre in Boston, Massachusetts, in front of a very tidy attendance of 17,651. Here are our results. Rikishi defeated Chris Benoit by disqualification in our first quarterfinal match. In our second, Val Venus beat Eddie Guerrero. In our third, Crash Holly defeated Paul Buchanan. And rounding out the quarterfinals, Kurt Angle went over Chris Jericho. We then had a fatal four-way elimination match for the tag team titles, won by Edge and Christian, defeating the Dern champions Too Cool, the Hardy Boys, and TNA. In our two semifinals, Rikishi beat Val Venus and Angle defeated Crash, respectively. Pat Patterson versus Gerald Briscoe ended when Crash Holly pinned Patterson in a hardcore evening gown match for the WWF Hardcore Championship. Take a drink. Uh, In a handicap tables dumpster match, DX defeated the Dudley Boys. DX represented by Tory, Road Dog, and X-Pac. Kurt Angle became King of the Ring by defeating Rikishi in the final. And in our six-man tag team match for the WWF Championship, the team of Rock and Kane and Undertaker defeated the McMahon-Helmsley faction, represented by Vince, Shane and Triple H. When The Rock pinned Vince, yes, The Rock pinned Vince to become the WWF Champion. I think we've uh, both made our thoughts on King of the Ring uh, apparent so far throughout this show but um in case there's any doubt lingering rory what did you make of king of the ring a tournament with thrills spills excitement great matches superstars at the top of their game mouth-watering encounters and a final that i cannot wait to see but we're not here to talk about euro 2000 uh yeah unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately we are not um yeah i i think I think this was the worst pay-per-view of the year, mm-hmm. um, which I, I know, like like you say, it's, it's, it's not the Royal Rumble, it's not WrestleMania, but King of the Ring is still a recognised and, and prominent sort of feature within the WWF annual calendar. And uh, the, the worst two shows this year have been the King of the Ring and WrestleMania. Um, and they, they should be the, the easiest ones <laughs> to get right. Um, in my mind, and they're the most important ones to get right. Again, not necessarily King of the Ring, um, 
But uh, yeah, we've had some really, really good shows this year and WrestleMania. And this one was worse than that. And it just missed the mark repeatedly. The booking was strange. Um, the wrong guys went over in my mind on several occasions. And I think when that happens back to back to back, that does knock the wind out of you a bit as a fan. Um, and the less said about Patterson Briscoe, the better. Um, yeah. And it seems like King of the Ring maybe is a bit, we've, we've struggled with King of the Ring in recent years with the exception of Mankind and You, Wo- you Know What in 98. We've had quite a bad run of King of the Ring shows the last four years. It ain't going to get any better over the next hour or so. (laughs) (laughs) Sit sit, sit tight, everybody. We're going to be cruel. And deservedly so. (laughs) So, uh, JR and Lawler welcome us to the show, and we are quickly underway with our first tournament quarterfinal of the evening, with Chris Benoit taking on Rikishi. Should be noted, three days prior, Rikishi had beaten Chris Benoit for the Intercontinental title on SmackDown, so surely the reverse result here is a no-brainer. The match starts with a brawl. Benoit clearly pissed about losing his title. Rikishi comes back with punches and a Samoan drop, leading to Benoit bailing to the floor. Rikishi whips Benoit into the steps. Back inside, Benoit hits a German suplex on the big man. He gets an armbar crossface combination on Rikishi and then loads with chops before getting the crippled crossface on the right arm near the ropes. Rikishi manages to get the left hand on the bottom rope. Benoit clearly thought that that was his moment to win, so he's very frustrated. He leaves the ring, grabs a steel chair, goes back in, and nails Rikishi in the head with the chair for the DQ, bringing a close to this match after just three minutes. Rory, our opener, your thoughts. I'm going to save my comments on the tournament itself and what they could and should have done better, read a booking of it, when we get to the final. So until that time, I'm just going to talk about the in-ring action for our matches best I can. Uh, so I've got three minutes and 25 seconds of a Rikishi Chris Benoit match to discuss. The German suplexes were decent enough, I suppose. And the psychology of really locking the crossface on the arm was good. But the ending was completely and utterly idiotic. A character like Chris Benoit, regardless of how pissed off he is about losing the IC belt, his character would not pass up the chance to win a tournament at the quarterfinal stage by getting himself disqualified so obviously. He just would not do that. And this is how they chose to open the pay-per-view as well. Look at the hot openers we've had on the last two pay-per-views. Good 8-10 to ten minute tag matches between generally fine workers, a lot of action, babyface team in that case going over cleanly in both occasions. Here you have a face winning by a popular heel losing because he is an idiot when his character is not an idiot. His character is a winner. Setting the tone, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, trying to sell the idea that Benoit is super annoyed at losing his title, like, that's that's okay. But this was just weak. Um, and I get the idea that maybe they want to keep... Benoit away from a clean loss but like also if if that's your plan one there's better ways to do it and two Rikishi beat him three days ago like how short are our memories meant to be as fans um yeah 
I mean, the match itself was like if if this was on TV, you wouldn't you wouldn't criticize it. You wouldn't yeah, really I've, have anything. Uh, the, the matches they've had because they had another one on Raw after this. I've liked their matches against each other. I mean, Benoit yeah. has chemistry with pretty much everybody, but Rikishi hangs with him. Their matches are fine. They yeah. just weren't allowed to get it here. And I and I mean, if like I say, if this was on TV for three minutes, you probably wouldn't have a bad word to say about it. Mm. Um, but it's not a TV match. It's a tournament quarterfinal that Chris Benoit has thrown away because he's a moron. Um, and yeah, character-wise, that's weak. Storyline-wise, that's weak. And pay-per-view opener-wise, incredibly weak. So yeah, big negative to uh, start the show for me. Moving straight into another quarterfinal, we have Val Venus with Trish taking on Eddie Guerrero, who is with China. Eddie and Val go back and forth in the ring till they sprawl to the outside. Val press slams Eddie onto the barricade, throws him back in the ring, but gets hit with a superplex to counter an attempt to go up top. Eddie applies a surfboard but transitions into a dragon sleeper, and Val rakes the eyes to escape. Eddie hits a back suplex and goes for a frog, frog uh, Eddie hits a back suplex and goes for a frog splash, but Val moves and Eddie transitions into a roll. Val knocks down Eddie and goes for the money shot, but Eddie gets the knees up. He gets a near fall with an Oklahoma roll before Val makes a comeback and gets crotched on the top rope. Eddie hits a hurricanrana off the top and Trish gets on the apron and distracts the ref. China attacks Trish and Val attacks Eddie from behind for the distraction. Uh, Val picks up China on the apron, but she delivers a forearm and Eddie rolls up Val, but only gets two. Val gets better of a short exchange before hitting a fisherman suplex and getting a clean win to advance to face Rikishi in the semi-finals. Val Venus over Eddie Guerrero in eight minutes, Rory. Yes, this one surprised me. And as we will discover a bit later on when we talk about the bracketology, it disappointed me. That's nothing against Val, who I think is a perfectly good worker. I am glad that they're shifting away from the excesses of the Val Venus character. I do wonder if something like a name change might help. This new attitude, I like it. No nonsense, beats people up. No frills, no fun. That's fine. He's still called Val Venus and it still rhymes with penis, doesn't it? But they have plans for him. I like the feud with Rikishi. Although again, I have my issues with the match they have here. Eddie gave him a good match, as of course he did. It was a nice back and forth. I've got no real issues with the in-ring stuff here. I would, personally, I would have done it the other way in any event, not just to try to make this tournament vaguely watchable. But they want to do something with Val, and he looked good in doing so. So, at least as far as the bell to bell is concerned, I can't really knock this one. Yeah, I'd say, if I'm being fair, it's probably a bit better than I expected it to be. Um, and they got more time than I probably expected. Um, but man, I just wouldn't have had Eddie lose. Um, like, it's, I know we we will talk about it in depth later, but you could have Benoit versus Guerrero in the semi-finals on pay-per-view. And we're heading to Val Venus Rikishi. It's just... That's demoralizing when i sat down to watch this show and you know the bracket lineup they've had um other tournament matches leading into the quarterfinals on tv throughout the month um and when you get to this stage and you see the brackets as they are and you see that oh if benoit wins and Guerrero wins you've got them in the semi-finals <laughs> you're like rubbing your hands together as a fan you're like oh we're in for a treat here and uh within well barely 10 minutes of in-ring action and there's been completely dashed um maybe i'm being 
a bit harsh on, on Val Venus and Rikishi. As you say, nothing wrong with Val as a worker, and Rikishi has looked good recently, and pretty much for his whole run, as Rikishi has, has done. But Benoit, Benoit V. Guerrero, they are not. Um, so disappointing opening to the show for me. But this match itself, um, pretty good, yeah, yeah. on the whole. Um, wrong, wrong, uh, wrong victor, but uh, pretty good match. We see um, Pat Patterson backstage. He's in the locker room looking at dresses, choosing what one he's going to wear for his evening gown match later. Yes, you heard that correctly. Pat said that if he's going to do this, he needs to do it right and talk to a WWF designer. Uh, Patterson said that uh, he needed to look better than Briscoe, and she told him that she's good, but she's not a miracle worker. But um, Into our third quarter final, we have Crash Holly versus Bull Buchanan. Buchanan dumps Crash early... Uh, uh, twice, uh, but Crash heads straight back into the ring both times, just to run into a press slam from Buchanan. A running clothesline by Bull, followed by two backbreakers. He hits a kick to the face before whiffing Crash into the turnbuckle and following with a suplex. Bull hits a weak double X handle on Crash on the floor and another kick to the face. He gets a Crash, to his credit, gets an inside cradle for two, but Bull comes back with a clothesline and then a flapjack. Bull hits uh, Bull looks for the scissors kick, does not hit it. Crash avoids it, gets a cradle uh, for the free count to head into the semi-finals. Just past four minutes. Crash Holly, your surprise, Victor. What do you make of this one, Rory? Yeah, this one didn't surprise me in ring. I'm afraid it's Vince McMahon doing the Cinderella story thing in King of the Ring again. Uh, he tried that in 1995, and it led to 15,000 people chanting the name of a rival promotion. You think he would have learned his lesson? Uh, the match was blah. It was the big guy beating up the little guy who wins on a near total fluke. And it's just so depressing to see them go to this well as often as it is. I actually felt, a, I can't believe I'm saying this, I felt a little sorry for Bull here, who, for fairly obvious reasons, is getting a little bit of attention on screen at the moment. He's hanging out with the faction. He's doing stuff with the undertaker. So they have some plans for him. Just one glance at the screen will tell you why, but nevertheless, and then they have him look like he is susceptible to an inside cradle from somebody who weighs 500 pounds less than him. It's very disappointing that they feel they have to do this. Nobody gets over because of this. The little guy beating the big guy in four minutes on a fluke roll-up does not help the little guy. And it, it's difficult for the big guy to shake off. So, tournament or not, everybody loses here. Yeah, um, at least it was short, I guess, is my my one <laughs> consolation. Um, I think uh, Ball has probably exceeded my expectations over the last couple of months and probably been a bit better than I've given him credit for. Um, but like you rightly say, this helps absolutely nobody. It does him no favors. It does Crash no favors. It does the tournament no favors, and it does my enjoyment as a fan no favors. <laughs> um, so the match wasn't wasn't horrible, but again, um, we're free for free on me questioning finishes, um, and uh, that's not a positive start to your pay view, and that's not a positive start to the to the main bulk of your King of the Ring tournament. Uh, on pay-per-view either. 
So before our next match, we see Linda and Vince together backstage. Vince recaps all the things that Linda has done in the last few months against him, including him saying, you brought back Dave Hebner. Obviously, he means Earl. Vince said nobody should ever question, ever question his intestinal, intestinal fortitude. Easy for you to say, Vince. He promises that there's no interference in the main event, but in the end, his team will be victorious. Next up, we have our last quarterfinal of the tournament, Kurt Angle taking on Chris Jericho. Part of me just despairs that we couldn't have sorted out the brackets to have these two defeating Crash and Ball, respectively, before <laughs> facing off the semifinals. <laughs> but here we are, and the winner faces Crash Holly. Angle cuts a pre-match promo, so, so, which sees him run down local sports teams. He even tries out an awful Boston accent. I say awful, it's better than I could do, and I'm not going to try. Jericho calls him Kirk Angel uh, and a 30-year-old virgin. <laughs> With, and those words, words set up, believe it or not, quite an intense match. Angle goes right after Jericho, and after some early strikes, hits a belly-to-belly. Jericho comes back with a flying forearm and a bunch of chops. Jericho gets backdrop but lands on the apron and sneaks in a missile dropkick. Lionsault gets him too, and Angle gets his foot on the rope. Jericho hits a springboard dropkick and they brawl on the outside. Angle which Jericho into the steps to take over and begins dominating the match. Eventually, though, Jericho comes back. He hits a backbreaker, which gets two, but misses a dropkick. Angle catapults him into the buckle for another two count. Angle blocks a charge, takes too long on top and gets hit with a hurricane rana. The spinning wheel kick gets two and the crowd starts to buy the near falls. Kurt cuts off the bulldog with a clothesline and Jericho slips out the angle slam attempt and counters with the walls of Jericho. Stephanie McMahon Helmsley runs down. She distracts, distracts the referee so he can't see Angle tapping out. Jericho gets shoved into the ref. Steph tries a belt shot but accidentally nails Angle with the title. Jericho then grabs Steph and kisses her. Angle recovers while this is happening, takes advantage of Jericho being distracted. He hits the Olympic slam, picks up the win just as we're approaching the 10-minute mark. Kurt Angle advances. That's a bit more like it, isn't it, Rory? It is indeed. Certainly much more like anything than my attempt at a Boston accent would be. See? Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At least I went there. At least I tried and very much failed. Okay, this is what we needed and at just the right time. Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, the ultimate sigh of relief when I saw these two come down the aisle. Now, why not open with this? The bracket suggested. Anyway, and the one I have it in the semi-final, but (laughs) hold off on that one. Yeah, this was very good indeed. Not top class. They made a few mistakes in there. The big boots spot was a bit ugly some of the transitions were a little on the sloppy side and right at the end stephanie supposedly hit angle with the belt she missed by many a mile as richie benno would say otherwise this was a breath of fresh air quality action between two quality opponents and just a hint of what we could and should have got throughout the bulk of this tournament it's the one time where this month where I don't mind Jericho losing. There are other occasions this month that had me fuming. Another pinfall loss to Triple H. Two-minute loss to Bull Buchanan after Stephanie throws water in his face are the examples I'm thinking of. Here, him losing was the right result. Angle winning by shenanigans at the time, I was okay with. But when we break it down a bit later, I'll have to probably put that one in the debit column. But only 9.50, but it was 
a, a glorious 9.50 while it lasted. Whilst, of course, they are capable of much, much better on a show like this, you take what you can. Beggars cannot be choosers. Yeah, um, if I say best match of the night so far, um, you and the listeners will know that that is far from praise um, compared to uh, what we've seen throughout the evening. Probably, so far. They probably barely scratched three stars. And I know these two can much greater heights than that. But for now, lay those stars on me. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. As you say, we'll take what we can get at this stage. Um, I, I, I thought it was was fine, um, and I probably enjoyed it more more than it warranted based on um, comparisons to what I'd been served up so far. Finish was a bit cheap, but I mean, it it did try and protect Jericho a bit more, I guess, even though he looked like a bit of an idiot because Stephanie kind of like she hits Kurt and then. He's still the one that wins. I say hits Kurt. You're right to point out that uh, she very much did not. But yeah, in storyline, um, it did make Jericho look like a bit of an idiot. But as you say, um, protecting Jericho doesn't seem to be one of the WWF's priorities, um, shall we say? I think that's putting it kindly. Um, so the cheap ending wasn't too egregious in my book. Um, yeah, best match of the tournament tonight so far but definitely should have been in the semi-finals but maybe I'd have been complaining if the semi-final had that finish so who so we have a shot of the WWF New York um, um, with a restaurant full of fans watching King of the Ring Um, Mick Foley's there, he's along with Ivory behind the bar as a bartender Foley says that he has a business meeting in Connecticut tomorrow and tells us his pick for the King of the Ring winger is Kurt Angle Next up, we have a four-way elimination match for the WWF Tag Team titles with two call cool defending against Edge and Christian, Test and Albert, and the Hardy Boys. So the rules had uh, two men in the ring as normal tag stipulations and the other six on the apron all waiting for the tag. Albert starts with Jeff, um, gets the advantage quickly with a back body drop, but Jeff lands on his feet, avoiding a press slam. Matt tags in, the Hardys hit a double elbow for two. Trish grabs Matt's foot while he's running the ropes and Albert takes advantage to deck him with a clothesline. Tess tags in, hits a slam on Matt, followed by a boot to the face. Trish jumps on the apron, distracting Matt. Lita gets involved, knocking her down with a clothesline. Tess grabs Lita. Uh, She slaps him and Matt hits a twist of fate on Tess for two. Albert breaks up the pin. Matt saves Lita from an attack from Albert. Tess hits a power slam on Matt. But Jeff comes off the top with a Swanton bomb on test and Matt gets the cover. Jeff blocks Albert from breaking it up and T and A are eliminated. Scotty's in. He hits a flapjack on Jeff. He celebrates with a moonwalk and Christian tags himself in. <laughs> Matt hits a leg drop off the middle rope on Christian for two. The Hardys hit a double team suplex on Edge. And Christian gets a te- cheap attack on Jeff and sends him into the barricade. So Edge takes over with a chin lock on Jeff. Running clothesline to Edge, and Matt knocks Christian out of the ring. Um, the referee's distracted by that, so Lita takes advantage, hits the Hurricane Runner off the top on Edge, which gets two. Matt's hit, Matt hits a twist of fate on Christian, and Edge pulls Matt out of the ring to prevent the cover. Edge crotches Jeff on top before Matt looks for a twist of fate on Edge, but Christian makes the save. He hits the Unprettier on Matt for the free count around the eight-minute mark, and the Hardy Boys have been eliminated. So we're down to the current champions versus the former champions here in just a straight regular tag match. 
Grandmaster Sexy hits Edge with a missile drop kick, prompting Ross to wonder what his parents think about his dancing. Lawler says, so why don't you ask them sometime? <laughs> Scotty takes a cheap shot uh, and plays Babyface in peril for a while. Christian does a goofy dance to mock the two cool, two cool dance during the heat. Eventually, a clothesline out of the corner by Scotty knocks Christian down, and the crowd are fired up as he gets the hot tag to Sexy Clean's house. Edge accidentally headbutts Christian in the groin. Um, Sexy hits a powerbomb on Edge, which gets two, as Christian makes the save. We get a double-team flapjack by Edge and Christian. They mock the worm, but Scotty goes in and bulldogs both guys before doing the real worm chop on Edge. Uh, Scotty holds, holds Edge into position while Sexy hits a top rope leg drop. Sexy covers, but the referee made Scotty leave the ring, um, so he's distracted. Christian hits Sexy in the back of the head with a tag title belt, and Edge rolls over for the cover. Christian grabs Scotty's leg to prevent the save, and the referee counts the three. Edge and Christian are your new WWF Tag Team Champions once again. Rory. Yeah, this one definitely had its moments. It did suffer the same problems that a lot of three-way plus tag elimination matches do in that you need to get two of the teams out of the way three-way elimination match you need to get one or two of the teams out of the way as soon as you possibly can really when it just comes down to the final two and here TNA and it must be said the Hardy Boys felt a little bit perfunctory although for the six to eight minutes, those two teams were in there. They did bring it the best they could, TNA especially the best they could. And the Hardy seemed to turn up as well. So the action we got from them in their own respective areas of quality was fine enough. But really, I wouldn't have objected too much if we'd just done a straight up Edge and Christian versus Too Cool in this one. I think Too Cool, they know their role to coin a phrase, and they do it extremely well. I think if they were going to drop the belts here, they probably deserve to do so in a straight-up 12-14 minute match. But I'm glad they're back on Edge and Christian. The, I should say the sequences they had in their six minutes together were both very good. And I loved the realisation on Edge's face when he realised that he and Christian were able to do the worm to Scotty Too Hotty. Fantastic visual. He is knocking it out of the park at the moment. But it's back on the right team as much as I've enjoyed Too Cool, and will continue to enjoy them, I think the champions need to be on a really credible side. And Edge and Christian are definitely that. There's no danger of them being so entertaining, and they are riotously entertaining, but so entertaining that they get cheered in, say, the way The Rock was in late 98, early 99, because they're brilliantly unlikable. I mean, they go around using phrases filled with words like so and totally. I mean, if I was doing a GCSE mock exam creative writing piece based on life in California in the late 1960s, I would probably intersperse my work with totally and so and get the E minus that that would deserve. So there's no danger of the crowd coming round to Edge and Christian. Their mocking of them is fantastic. I love the five-second poses. They're obnoxious, and they know it, and I'm glad that they're the tag team champions. The match to get there, so-so, uh, but on this occasion, I can let that go. Yeah, I think this is a, a decent tag team match that was probably a level below some of the work we've seen from this division recently, and I think a large part of that is, as you say, 
the match itself and the, the four-way elimination stip rather than just the straight tag match. Um, but yeah, this was pretty good. Um, Edge and Christian are the, the right team to be champions for me. It's way easier um, to set up rivalries and feuds. There's more face teams they can work with. You can put them with the Hardys, you put them with the Dudleys, put them against Too Cool again, APA, throw them in there. You've got individual teams they can work with and I'd back all of those matches to be something that I'd want to see. Um, yeah, Edge and Christian are fantastic. They've been doing great work lately. Um, uh, I, I mean, if you go back to when this tag division started emerging, they wouldn't have been my pick necessarily as the team that were going to down the line impress me the most, but they certainly made that leap and their character work, facial expressions, goofy heel comedy is all brilliant. Um, and it's the right kind of heel comedy, like you say. They're not going to get over his baby faces, but also like they are funny. And it's goofy, but they are funny. Um, it's not necessarily exclusively bad pro wrestling comedy. That, uh, that, that, like- that's to come. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, the likes of which we will very much get into <laughs> a little bit later. So next up, we have a uh, our first King of the Ring semi-final. Um, we have Rikishi taking on Val Venus. Um, so it should be noted again, the two men had been feuding for a few weeks leading into this. So there was a bit of uh, bad blood between the two and a, a little bit more at stake than just the semi-finals of the tournament. So Rikishi uh, is a standing sidekick that sends uh, Val out of the ring before whipping him into the steel step- steps. Back in the ring, Rikishi hits a leg drop. He hits a running butt splash against the turnbuckle, and Venus comes back with an armbar takedown. Val drives the uh, right arm of Rikishi into the ring post. Uh, Rikishi connects with some punches, and Val drops him with a DDT. Val goes up top, he jumps off, and Rikishi is back on his feet and hits a belly to side, belly to belly side suplex for the pinfall win after just three minutes. A comfortable win for Rikishi here. Post-match, Trish jumps on Rikishi's back. He slams her down. He pulls her near the ropes and set up, sets up um, for for a splash in, in the corner. Val makes the save with a low blow. Uh, he brings the steel steps into the ring and hits Rikishi in the right shoulder with them. He pins Rikishi's arm on the steps and hits them with a chair while the arm is pinned against the steps. Rikishi's down, he's nursing his shoulder. Looks like he'll be injured heading into the final. Rory, thoughts on the match and uh, the post-match angle? See, not just from a tournament perspective, but I don't think this helps their feud any either. You know, Val lost here clean as a sheet in 3 minutes 15 seconds. And yes, he can try to get his heat back by smashing Rikishi's arm up as much as he likes and yes that will of course play into the final but these two have a pretty hot feud going their exchanges on tv have been good Uh, I like Rikishi diving onto him from the stage I've liked Val putting him through a table it's a hot mid-card feud and I think they could have a pretty decent pay-per-view match in them don't dilute that by having them go three minutes as part of a tournament match where they don't need to really face each other anyway. You can still have Valve come out after some other match and beat up Rikishi and injure his arm if you want to do that. Uh, the, the record books will show that he was defeated by the man he's feuding with in three minutes in a nominally important match. 
again, it just in the big picture that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help in the here and now that the match was nothing. I can remember the finish, and that's it. And I only rewatched this about two hours ago, which should tell you all you need to know. Yeah, short match, uh, not much to it really. Um, all about the post match, just getting Rikishi's arm injured f- before the final. And all it really achieved was providing Rikishi with the out for that final. Um, but, like you say, that's not all it achieved because it also is a massive detriment to Val Venus and the, the feud that these two guys are having. Um, it's like if you saw this match in isolation as just a tournament match and you just tuned in for the pay-per-view, it's, it is what it is. But when you watch TV, you know that these two have been feuding and they will be feuding coming out of it. I think just a bit of a waste of time. Um, and definitely a detriment to the pay-per-view because I can think of a couple of guys I'd rather have seen in this spot and a detriment to the storylines preceding and following the show. So, inoffensive match, but when given its full context, definitely um, a negative in my book. We're straight into our other semi-final with Kurt Angle taking on Crash Holly. Uh, they do some early mat wrestling. Crash hits a power slam, and Lawler tells us it would be a huge upset if Crash is, was to pick up the win here. Angle hits that overhead suplex and sends Crash across the ring. Angle hits a clothesline against a turnbuckle, followed by a suplex. They exchange punches in the corner. Crash comes out atop after a back elbow, and he hits a back body drop. Crash whips Angle into the turnbuckle and follows with a clothesline. He goes up top, hits a missile drop kick for two. Crash charges but Angle gives him a stun stun gun into the top rope for an Olympic slam, followed by the pinfall win just before the four-minute mark. 3.58, Kurt Angle proceeds to the final. Rory? It's just nothing, is it? It's it's just nothing. Uh, As Scott Keith would say over at Inside Pulse, who did it help? And the answer is nobody. I'm sure you're all champing at the bit to hear me break down this tournament properly, and I will do so in about 15 minutes' time. But for now, Kurt Angle defeated Crash Holly in the semi-final of the King of the Ring with the Angle Slam. The, the most, <laughs> the most television of pay-per-view matches you're ever going to get. There's no angle here. There's no. There's no anything. There's no spot. There's no storyline that gets enhanced it's purely that angle proceeds to the finals but this is the sort of match angle was having on tv or pay-per-view say survivor series armageddon when he first joined yes you know he might as well be in there here i don't know sean stasiak or steve blackman or somebody i thought we'd moved on from that now he's come so much further than that as well Mm um yeah uh just massively disappointing and um we're both holding off but uh it's coming everybody it's it didn't coming. have to be this way is no. is all i will say for now so we see a few highlights from the wwf live event that took place at madison square garden from the previous night uh donald trump is shown at ringside lawler interviews him he says he's friends with vince mcmahon and the wwf are doing an amazing job he says his favorite superstar is the rock and lawler says trump shouldn't run for president he should run for king of new york instead (laughs) just yeah just felt the need to bring that one up not sure why Uh, (laughs) then uh we have you you never know who's listening okay (laughs) just say that (laughs) uh 
I, I, can we go back to Donald Trump? Because next up we have a video package for Patterson versus Briscoe, and we head into our hardcore evening gown match between those two. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm not going to go into great detail here, but I do feel like I should break it down for you a little bit. Patterson's wearing a red dress. Still got the tags on it. Briscoe's got a black dress on, but he's wearing black heels to boot. Uh, Patterson says that he will lay down and Briscoe can pin him and win the title. They hug, but Patterson hits him low and it began. I really don't want to dwell on this. The crowd, <laughs> the crowd trumped boring almost immediately pat takes a pad out from his underwear rubs it in briscoe's face briscoe comes back with a low blow uh they do some brawling in the t- in the middle of the ring before uh briscoe hits a bronco buster in the corner he rips off patterson's dress and reveals that patterson's wearing a stuffed bra at this point crash holly runs into the ring he takes briscoe's dress off as well nails patterson with a trash can and picks up the win. And he is hardcore champion once again. Thank you, Crash Holly. I've never been so glad to see you. <laughs> Rory. Uh, see, there's a lot of memes going around on the internet on places like Inside Pulse and One Wrestling and Perkins and things like that, where people put together lists of matches that they would show non-fans to try to get them into this wacky pseudo sport that we enjoy so much. Over the next weeks and months, I'm intrigued to see how many said lists this one ends up appearing in. I'm going to wager probably not using up too many um, too many kilobytes worth of memory to do so. Right, now these two, I nominated them as one entity, as a thought, as one entity for our non-wrestler of the year in 1998 because I thought they were just golden as the Stooges by name and nature for the big cheese, Vince McMahon. They were magnificent every time they were called upon. They had the little face turn in mid-99. It was fine. I didn't have a problem with it. And they've been back on our screens over the last couple of months. And I think it has been very good. I was going to say good. Very good, actually. I don't have a problem with Briscoe becoming the hardcore champion when every time he does so, he celebrates like he's just pinned rick flair in the omni after 59 minutes i don't mind when he's pinning crash holly when he's sleeping and the commentators call it by saying gerald briscoe is the champion i don't mind them going out in new york celebrating with mike kyoto with them playing gooseberry and then talking about one of the clubs that pat patterson's invited him to and i especially don't mind them celebrating backstage when briscoe wins it back or Patterson smashes him over the head with a champagne bottle, says, oh, you can't see her, goes down, pins him for the three, and celebrates with the fucking crotch chop. I'm very good with all of that. That's what these two do best. It's quick. It's unobtrusive. Nobody is negatively affected in any way. It's only the hardcore title. There's no real harm done. It's a couple of minutes of good fun on your TV between two who deep down very likable people. But Vince McMahon has to Vince McMahon, doesn't he? This is why, to quote Chris Lacey, we can't have nice things because he has to go what he would deem the extra mile, pal. We have to end up with Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe on pay-per-view. 
in the ring. That would be bad enough. But because Vince McMahon's own sense of humor is based on one of either two things. This is somebody who, number one, thinks the funniest thing in the world, and he has said this in notable, in many, many uh, TV and media interviews, that the funniest thing in the world is a man being thrown into a swimming pool fully clothed. Okay, So that's what we're dealing with here as our base level. Number two, the remaining elements of his sense of humor, or 99% of them, are based on humiliation. So what better way to humiliate two people very loyal to him on and off screen for many years who don't deserve this because one of them is shock horror gay, having them remove evening gowns from each other in three minutes in front of one of your most loyal and most knowledgeable crowds. You just don't do it, do you? But Vince McMahon does. And the action, much like you, Chris, I'm not even going to dignify with a description. I do hope that when the time comes to vote in six months, that this one doesn't make it into the reckoning for worst match. I would understand entirely if it did, but I think that would be grossly unfair on both Patterson and Briscoe, who have done everything they've asked of them on screen, given it when they can a bit of their own natural personalities as well we've had fun doing so but this is where i think it has to end and what a way for it to end where somebody just had to do what that somebody does and it's a great great shame yeah i I really don't want to talk about the match too much more but what i will say is that probably the most egregious part of it as I was watching it unfold, is that I could just picture Vince laughing his head off backstage watching this. And it wasn't remotely funny. There wasn't a single person in that arena who found this funny. But Vince, you could just, you just know backstage, he would have just thought this was one of the funniest things he has ever seen. And that's what matters to him. It entertains Vince McMahon. So that's all that matters. I felt so bad for both of these guys. Um, and you're right to say that they have been an overwhelming positive on our screens for the last few years. Um, I definitely echo the thought as well that I hope this can be forgotten about when we do our voting at the end of the year. And I'm going to try my best to remember that I've said this <laughs> and absolutely not nominate it. Um but inevitably I will, because I will look back and be like, Christ, that was terrible. Um, it's, Vince deserves for it to be on the list, but yes. the guys involved definitely don't. Because because you book a hardcore evening gown match between these two men, this is what you get. This isn't a case of you've booked a match and the guys have gone out there and had a stinker. This is exactly what you've booked. You've booked this, you wanted this, and they've done it. It's not They've not done anything wrong here. And I feel like worst match, oh, you'll Listeners will probably hear this rant <laughs> in December as well, but <laughs> the worst match should probably probably be a match that had no right to be as bad as it is. But this match had every right to be this bad, and it was. So that's the distinction that morally I will try and draw come the end of the year. But yeah, this was a really tough watch. Um, 
if you're going to watch the pay-per-view, just do yourself a favor and skip it. Like, it's not worth your time. You're not going to get anything out of it. Um, yeah. Vince McMahon's going to Vince McMahon. Moving swiftly off, uh, swiftly on, I should say, we see the Dudley boys backstage for a promo. Bubba has written Tory on a table, and they're going to bring it to the ring with them. So next up, it is that handicapped tables dumps the match. Tables dumps the match with the team of Road Dog, X Pac, and Tory taking on Bubba and Devon Dudley. In order to win, so the Dudleys have to put DX through tables individually, and the DX have to seal the Dudleys in a dumpster. There are tags in this match too, which seems completely unnecessary. The so DX are in control after Road Dog hits Devon with a knee to the back, and X Pac hits a spin kick. Tory tags in. And uh, hits some kicks to the ribs and Devon, and Rhodey works over Devon with punches. Bubba tags in, hits a four Nelson slam. Samoa drop, and Devon hits the headbutt to the groin of Road Dog X Pack before going up top and hitting the headbutt to the groin of Tori as well, laying in that position after hitting the move for about 10 full seconds, which delighted the crowd. The fight heads outside, the Dudleys rip whip Road Dog into the X-Pack and the DX come back and throw their opponents into the side of the dumpster. The dumpster's opened and uh, there's even a uh, dumpster camera. So the DX have uh, the match won um, as Road Dog and X-Pack close the dumpster on the Dudleys but the referee, Jimmy Calderas, is checking on Tory on the floor so he doesn't see the Dudleys are inside the dumpster. Back in the ring, the Dudleys hit Rody and X-Pac with some stiff chair shots to the head that look really nasty. They stack two tables on the floor while bringing the steel steps into the ring. Bubba has Road Dog and he gets on the steel steps, gives Road Dog a power bomb from the steel steps in the ring through two tables stacked on top of each other on the floor. And that looks absolutely brutal. X-Pac tries putting Devon through a table, even though it's not how he can win the match. It backfires. He takes a superplex through the table and it leaves Tori alone. She hides in the dumpster, giving time for DX to miraculously get up. They hit the Dudleys with chairs. The Dudleys fall into the dumpster and DX close it. And the Dudleys lose the match just before the 10-minute mark. DX attempt to leave, but they can't find Tori. She's still in the dumpster with the Dudleys. They pull her out and look for revenge. They hit both DX guys with the 3D and are finally alone with Tori. They put her through the table that has her name on it with the big power bomb off the top, and the crowd absolutely love it. Rory. Yeah, they both overthought and underthought this one in various places. I mean, just as you were reading out the stipulations before you did your play by play there, Chris, and that you went back and checked that you said the words handicap tables dumpster match, that speaks a fair few volumes in its own right. It's just too much. And I, although the rules themselves were fairly simplistic as to who could win how, I found even myself going back and checking to make sure I was right. I do wonder if the competitors involved were ensure that they were following the storyline to the letter correctly as well. I mean, I thought uh, Road Dog and Debon in particular looked rather confused out there at times. It's all about the spots here, particularly the mega powerbomb that Road Dog took. Not the biggest fan of him in the ring. And the character work, or at least the promo work, because the two things aren't necessarily the same. The promo work that he was so good at, 98-99, 
I'm finding it a bit tiresome now, but hats off for taking that bump. That was something probably didn't need to do. Uh, X-Pac held the in-ring stuff together best he could fairly well. Everyone else ticked the boxes, if no more, until we got to the, again, that word again, convoluted finish. Now, the Dudleys just look like complete morons. And that again, like standing over the open dumpster, waiting for Road Dog and X-Pac to come back to life and send them into it. And it's a problem in certainly in, not in, in non-kayfabe, but almost in kayfabe as well, that the Dudley boys' own matches don't really matter anymore. I mean, they've appeared on TV a lot over the course of this month. And a minute maximum from when the bell rings, the crowd are chanting, we want tables. That one has become a self-fulfilling prophecy now. And if you have the Dudleys themselves standing over an open dumpster, knowing that if they get knocked into it, they'll lose the match. But two minutes later, they're going to pop up and get what everybody wants to see, which is Tory to be put through a table anyway. Then their matches are inconsequential. And as over as they still are at the moment for putting women through tables, as much as that one sticks in my teeth when I say it, they are, whether we like it or not. I'm not convinced they're going to be forever. I mean, who is really left? Stephanie, who they teased doing that with uh, the most recent edition of Raw, or Raw and SmackDown, I think it was. No, when you've done it with her, and if she agrees to it, I don't think that will be too long coming. Then we've got to see more from them. Eric has said on these shows before, and of course Chris has, but needless to say that they're better in the ring than you might think they are, and they probably are. I hope they get the opportunity to show it again anytime soon because they're becoming, I'm going to say it, a bit of a novelty act. For me, this is just another example of the wrong guys losing and it makes Mm -hmm. no sense. My overall experience, so they're going to lay out DX afterwards. Like, What are the plans for this DX team moving forward, realistically? Road Dog and X-Pac. Like, they're not going to be fixtures within the tag division. They're barely fixed. Like Hunter barely interacts with them anymore. They're barely <laughs> fixtures within that that era of the card. They're not, they're not in the tag team title mix, nor should they be. There are many teams better than this combination. But they pick up the win here. Yeah, again, it's hardcore handicap dumpster table match or whatever it was. Like, I, why not? If you're going to have them lay them both out with a 3D, you're going to have them, the Dudleys put both men through a table first, then lose, then lay them both out individually again, then get the big table spot in there with Tory. Why not just have the Dudleys just win the match, end the match with the Tory spot, and there have my go. overall experience as a fan, as a viewing paying customer, be so much more enjoyable? Like, they, they just make... Like, this pay-per-view does not feel like one from WWF in 2000. Pay-per-views haven't been perfect, but they've been a hell of a lot better than they were in the prior couple of years. And this feels like they've just reverted back to a pay-per-view back from 98 or 99. And there's just so many little misfires that add up throughout the card and overall bring your experience as a fan down. And you just left questioning so many different aspects of the show. Um, I think you're entirely right in your um, 
assessment of the Dudleys as well. Um, I think there's loads to come from them if and when we get to see that. It's quite possibly out for debate. I mean, in my mind, um, having the Dudleys just win this match and then you could also free them up to go after Edge and Christian from here out, like now that they've got the the titles, that would work, but it doesn't look like they're going that way. No. They didn't win this match. DX won this match. So are we going to get this feud again? Are they going to wrestle DX some more? But they've put Tori through the table, so the heat's gone. Any investment the crowd had is gone. I, I just, I think it's all little things, but when you throw them in together and add them all in, all of the storylines fall over on this show. And it's so disappointing. So we move on to the final of the King of the Ring tournament, and we have Kurt Angle taking on Rikishi, who's out with his arm bandaged following the attack from Val Venus earlier. Kurt whips Rikishi's shoulder into the steps back inside the ring. Rikishi does a very poor job selling his arm injury, frequently using it, um, particularly for a Samoan drop and also multiple clotheslines. Rikishi gets a stink face. Uh, but Angle is completely pissed off. He hits an Angle slam for two. And JR notes on commentary that this is the first time that anyone has kick out, kicked out of that move. Angle tries a sunset flip, but gets squashed for a near fall. He catches Rikishi on the top, delivers a belly-to-belly superplex for the one, two, and three. After six minutes, Kurt Angle is your king of the ring for the year 2000. Rory, um, we'll talk about this match in uh, isolation and then talk about the tournament as a whole um, after we talk about the uh, <laughs> Kurt Angle celebration maybe but um, so what did you make of this final? Yeah, for what it was in a total vacuum the match was actually fairly decent it was a well worked six minute angle against injured babyface match I thought it was actually well timed and paced for what it was and I did like the fact that Angle had to go deep into his own personal arsenal to put Rikishi down, despite the injury. In its own right, that was fine. Nothing that's going to stop the earth from spinning on its axis, but it was okay. And it does go to show how versatile Kurt Angle already is, when you consider he's still only been around full pro for seven months. It's staggering the things he can do already. the future could and should be extremely bright for him, which gives us now the opportunity to talk about this tournament. Um, When I was a nipper, I used to read a lot of my dad's old annuals and comics, Roy of the Rovers, who, for those who don't know, is a fictional football team here in the UK and the titular character by the name of Roy Race. And we were all supposed to love him, but I hated him because he was just so bloody good at football. Now, every year, every season, uh, his team would win at least the league or the FA Cup. They'd normally win both, and the European Cup on top of that. Now, he would always be player of the year. He would always be top goal scorer. And because he was so bloody good, and the writers of the comic told us every week and month that he was so bloody good, that I actually despised the bloke, and I did not want to see him anymore. It was the first real example of go-away heat in my young life. Little did I know how much that would attach itself to me in the years to come. That is how Kurt Angle should have won this tournament. Rather than having him beat Chris Jericho, okay, it's Chris Jericho, but he beat him by 
shenanigans rather than in beating a lower card comedy act and beating an injured mid-card babyface in the final rather than that why not just have people hate him by him ripping through some of the best workers in the company Jericho in the quarterfinal Benoit in the semi-final Guerrero in the final and that's just up the top of my head why not have him do that okay you're in Boston you're going to get a few smart fans cheering him okay you're going to get that in all smart towns so fucking what 98% 98% of your viewership on pay-per-view and in arenas up and down the country, they're going to hate this guy. And because he is obscenely arrogant, because he assumes, well, <laughs> presumes and assumes that he lives life by the three eyes, is only too happy to tell us what those three eyes are. And on top of insulting every town and city he's in. Not only that, by actually being a bloody good wrestler who can beat via pinfall three of the very best wrestlers in the company, uh, people are going to be baying to see him get his. Uh, You can get heat by being good at your job. Uh, I'm sure in offices all over the world, uh, there are people listening to this now who... Some of their colleagues, they might be polite to them in public, but in private think, God, I hate that arsehole, but he's bloody good at what he does, though. And that is the way for Angle to get heat. And it was right there for them. They could have done that. Instead, they just treated Angle as if it was any heel victory or as if it was Ted DiBiase muddling his way to the final uh, WrestleMania 4. Chris, I could go on for a long time on this one. I will come back to you on how you would have rebooked the tournament and the match too, because I've got a couple of other things to add in a sec as well. Yeah, for me, if I mean, that is a perfectly logical and downright good way of booking the tournament that you've just laid out for you there, if your objective is to get Kurt Angle over as this great hill. And that's the way you do it. You have the in-face, those three guys in the... Uh, in three different matches on the show, he goes for each one of them and, and comes out on top after telling us that he's going to do just that. That's the way you do it. To my mind, I didn't even think about this tournament necessarily from a Kurt Angle point of view. I just thought about it from a give me some damn good matches point of view. And you've got those four guys. Mm-hmm. You may have to... I, I was going to say you're going to sacrifice the quarterfinals a little bit, but you don't have to sacrifice the quarterfinals. Like... If you have, I can't remember the, the the full bracket, but for the for for this show, but there were so many people um, in it, um, like throughout. So if you if you do the opening match again, but you have Benoit win, that's great. So Benoit's into the semi-finals. And there's no reason that you can't have Chris Benoit versus Rikishi on pay-per-view. That's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You do Val Venus versus Eddie Guerrero. Absolutely fine. There was nothing wrong with that match in isolation. You flip, flip the finish. Eddie Guerrero wins. You've got Benoit Guerrero in the semis. Split up Crash and Ball. You put Crash with Kurt Angle and he can bully him around. And you put Ball Buchanan with Chris Jericho. Done. So Kurt Angle beats Crash Holly, um, much like we saw uh, in the semifinals anyway. 
just copy and paste that match and put it in one of the quarterfinal slots. And you have Chris Jericho beat Bull Buchanan. I bet you that match could be pretty good. I bet you that could be better than Crash and Bull was. Yes. You have Chris Jericho win. So then on paper, my semifinals are now Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero. You give them 10 minutes. And you've got Kurt Angle versus Chris Jericho. You give them 10 minutes. And then you have a final between Kurt Angle and probably, probably Eddie, like to keep the the face heel dynamic. Yeah, you'd probably do that. Yeah, give them ten minutes too. That is a hell of a lot better pay view to watch than what we got here. That had illogical storylines and uninteresting wrestling. Because there you can still keep the final eight. I mean, my original plan to have Angle tear through the three other super workers, you'd need to amend it a little bit. Your plan, you can still do that with the eight people that are there. Yeah. So but, it's, I mean, it's right there for them. It's I mean, right the tournament there. started right at the end of May. Yes. And like some of the people in the early round of the tournament, we had like Bradshaw was eliminated early by Angle, Bossman, Test, uh, Edge was in the tournament, Chris Jericho beat him. Uh, you had Albert, Farouk, Steve Blackburn, Perry Saturn. Um, like there's plenty of people. D'Lo was in the tournament. Dean Malenko was in the tournament. Al Snow. There's so many people that were in this tournament. China was in the King of the Ring tournament. She was knocked out before we got to the pay-per-view, but she was in the tournament. Eddie Guerrero beat her. Like, you keep that in there because obviously that works in the storyline that we've got with Eddie and China. But there's good workers. There's loads of good workers. And you could easily structure this tournament so that you have Kurt go through those three guys on this night. Or you could just structure it so that your best four guys out of this eight you make them face off against each other. And I say my original plan was to sacrifice the quarterfinal matches, but I don't think you really are. You're keeping two of them the same, and I think you're probably improving the other two. So, yeah, um, incredibly frustrating and frustrating because they were so close. They've, they've, got, they've got the matches there. You just need to tweak one aspect of the bracket, and this could be so much better. And you keep Kurt as the winner, and he'd be better for it. It wouldn't be a waste of the King of the Ring tournament, which it has been frustratingly wasted for so many years now. That brings me on to my next point. Probably, we we were on the show two years ago when Shamrock won King of the Ring, and you and I, Chris, we both suggested that it was really just a consolation prize for him at the time, and history has proved us to be correct. Billy Gunn last year, (laughs) enough said. So, yeah, probably, even when Helmsley won it in '97. That was just because he didn't win it in 96. I'm not sure it really helped his career much. So you probably need to go back to Austin in 96. And we know all about the previous three. We've discussed them, all their pros and cons on many, many occasions. I think it just illustrates, especially here when it's staring them in the face like it is on front of my computer screen right now. Just twist those two matches around and you've got yourself a much better tournament from a match quality and angle heat perspective just suggests to me that WWF really struggle with the concept of tournaments they just always seem to fall over their shoelaces when doing it I mean even Survivor Series 98 fantastic show that it was our pay-per-view of the year that year rightly so even there the tournament was really just the was really just the set for the dialogue which was the story that culminated at the end those impeccable two hours 45 minutes of storytelling but 
the tournament itself wasn't really the point of that. It was, oh, how is Rocky getting through this the way he is? Which was brilliant. I wouldn't change a thing about that. But if you look at so many other tournaments they've had through the years, the recent King of the Rings, they either pay too much attention to it or don't pay enough attention to it. I mean, they're tournaments. You can book them any way you want. You can set up the brackets any way you want. Fans are going to look at the early brackets and they are going to see, oh, if this guy beats this guy and this bike this guy beats this guy, then look what we've got in the quarterfinals and look what we've got in the semifinals. People are going to do that. And I think that's healthy if you're promoting that level of fan engagement. But to then not go ahead and see that to fruition when you can, and it's not going to hurt anybody if you do, and it's ultimately going to help the one person winning King of the Rings should help, then you might as well not bother. And I think you're right. And I think like I loved um, Survivor Series 98. But like you say, the, the tournament wasn't fantastic because it was this brilliant pro wrestling tournament. It was brilliant because of the storyline they weave throughout the show like and how logical it was. And they nailed it from a storyline sense. They used the tournament as a vehicle for the storyline. And here the storylines get so muddled because they do things wrong with their own tournament. And that's the beauty of professional wrestling. This isn't one of the old MMA 20 years ago shows where we've got a eight man tournament on a UFC that's going to pay out throughout the night. And then suddenly your big favorite gets a cut in the first round and that's it. And now we got some jobber through to the semi-finals. Like it's the beauty of professional wrestling is that you control it. You can do what you like. You can book it how you want to book it and you can book it well. Like it shouldn't be this hard to just look at the brackets and think, if we do this, it could be a bit better. And it, it's a little tweak. That's all it needs. And six or seven issues that have come up during our review could go away. Um, so they're frustratingly close which in my mind <laughs> I don't know if that makes it worse cause I it just it does. <laughs> yeah. I mean this isn't WCW 2000 levels for bad booking by any stretch but they've been on a really good roll so far this year and I feel like this tournament sort of encapsulates a reverting to illogical mistakes they made and missteps they took in the last couple of years again pay-per-view quality wise they weren't stellar years but obviously they were fantastic years for the wwf on the whole um so maybe i've been a bit harsh but i was enjoying enjoying the pay-per-views every month and it's a shame that they couldn't keep that trend running with king of the ring but we are not done with the pay-per-view itself. And we do have the main event, which is a six-man uh, tag team match um, with the WWF Championship on the line. Um, so the heels are out first. We have Vince and Shane. They're out together, followed by Hunter. Kane is ne- next. And we have The Undertaker out on his motorbike. And finally, The Rock, who, as expected, gets the biggest pop of all. 
The reminder of the rules here, if somebody on the face team gets the pinfall, they will become the WWF champion, regardless of who they beat. If Triple H's team get the win, then Hunter will be defending the WWF title against the King of the Ring winner. So that is Kurt Angle at the next pay-per-view. Um, and we do see Kurt Angle watching the match backstage, drinking some milk while he does. Shane and Kane get us underway. Shane gets a cheap shot to start, and Kane invites him to have another free shot. Shane lands a punch, but Kane no-sells it. Kane hits a clothesline and a press slam. Vince is in to help Shane, and Kane hits a double clothesline on both of the McMahons. Rock tags in. He punches Shane and Vince and taunts Hunter, who's on the apron. Rocky sends Shane over the top to the floor, and Taker tags himself in, working over Shane with some more punches, whipping him into the corner and nailing a choke slam. Rock breaks up the pinfall attempt his own team, though. Uh, Hunter tags tags in and works over Taker with some punches but Taker comes back with a back body drop we get a corner clothesline by The Undertaker followed by a boot to the face for two Taker hits a leaping DDT for another two count when uh, Kane pulls uh, The Undertaker off from the pin and Vince celebrates this on the apron. The Rock tags himself in and hits punches in all three hills but then Hunter pulls the ropes down and Rocker spills over the top to the floor uh, the action completely heads outside Taker punches Shane and Kane punches Vince, brawling around ringside repeatedly. Um, the Rock clears off the announce table, and we'll come back to that later, but Hunter stops him from proceeding with a clothesline. The Rock hits a neckbreaker, Hunter does a clothesline, hits a kick to the gut, and gets a pedigree near the ropes, which gets two. Taker hits Hunter into the steel ring post, and Shane tags him with a jumping back elbow on the Rock. Triple H hits a cheap shot leading to a clothesline from Shane. Vince tags in. He gets a punch on the rock and Hunter tags back in and hits a suplex on the rock followed by a patented knee drop. Hunter goes up top, jumps off and rock counters it with a punch. Hunter comes back with a neck break of a two and Kane makes the save this time. Vince with some punches before the rock fights back with punches of his own. But Vince hits a low blow when the referee isn't looking. Rock works over Hunter with with several punches followed by some iron drop but Shane interrupts the count. Taker throws Shane out of the ring, and Kane beats up Vince with some punches. Hunter with a face buster on the rock before Kane uh, goes after the Undertaker with a punch and sends him into the steel steps. The rock hits a spine buster on Triple H before going for a people's elbow, but Kane grabs the rock and spikes him with a chokeslam. Lawler said that this is Vince's plan, master plan unfurling in front of us. Hunter gives Kane a thumbs up, Hunter turns his back. Kane picks up Triple H and hits him with a tombstone pile driver. He tries to cover Triple H, but Taker pulls Kane out of the ring. The Rock is still the legal man, even if that matters at this stage. I'm not too sure. <laughs> it doesn't. The Undertaker grabs a chair and hits Kane in the head with it. Shane was on the top rope, so Taker grabbed him by the throat and gave Shane a choke slam off the top rope through the English announce table that had been cleared off earlier in an absolutely crazy bump. Credit to Shane there. Back in the ring, Vince realizes he is now all alone with The Rock. He tries the billionaire's elbow, his own version of the people's elbow. But the Rock uh, pops up back to his feet and he hits the rock bottom on Vince McMahon. The Rock covers Vince for the one, two, and three. And The Rock is the new WWF champion. It should be noted that while The Rock was the legal man here, Vince was not the legal man for his team. So uh, not only has Triple H lost his belt by someone else being pinned, a non-wrestler, Vince McMahon, the Vince McMahon wasn't even legal. But that is the finish to this match. Rory, what did you make of it all? 
Wow, I didn't even realise that. <laughs> Excellently noted there, Mr. Whitey. N- not much gets past you, does it? Uh, but yeah, I think it might be because I had zoned out in the previous 17 minutes and 30 oh, seconds of this that's one. That's very understandable. <laughs> it was a long 17-minute match, this, wasn't it? I mean, twice as long as any match on the... Well, no, the tag match was 14 minutes, okay. But it just felt a lot, lot longer because look who's in there and look at the possible exchanges you can have. Now, the only really laudable one I've used that word a lot today <laughs> in, in hope rather than expectation. Laudable one is Triple H versus The Rock. And you know, I've already ca- I've already lost count of how many times we see those go at it. I'm sure they will again. Uh, when you've got those two in there again, you've got Kane. OK, he's over. We talked about The Undertaker's in-ring earlier. You've got Shane and you've got Vince. Unless you have a lot of tricks up your sleeve for a 20 minute main event you're not going to be able to hold most people's attention WWF belt on the line or not I think it says a great deal about this match that I re-watched this just before we went up on air to start recording this show the only things I can remember are Shane being choke slammed through the table Immense spot though it was. All the credit to Shane for being batty enough to take the fucking thing. Okay. And immediately after that, which I also think is quite telling, was Vince going for the corporate elbow and then being pinned. I couldn't tell you anything else of what happened in the previous 70 minutes. They had so little going on here. It was 20 minutes long because it was a WWF main event and therefore it had to be. But they just didn't have the combinations of guys involved to be able to get us there. I mean, this just the month after The Rock and Triple H worked wonders in getting an hour out of each other in a fantastic match that you rightly praised last month. Uh, It couldn't happen here with all of these guys in there. And I was going back to a lot of it's felt like a second from the top WWF match in 98-99 in that I was just waiting for the finish the all the only thing I cared about was who won and even then not because I had any great emotional investment hanging on it just so I could then carry on my work on this podcast and start planning who I think they're going to be feuding with next, et cetera, et cetera. And it turned out it was The Rock. As I suggested in my brief preamble to this pay-per-view, he probably is the right person to be holding the title if you're not going to do something like Triple HVK on this show, which you probably should have done, but okay. Then you can go back a bit further and say, well, maybe The Rock shouldn't have lost at Judgment Day in the first place. And without wanting to go back over that match again, because you did such a good job of it last time, I would say probably still could have done the Undertaker stuff and kept the belt on Mr. Johnson, perhaps. I don't think we're going to get Rock Triple H again next month, thank goodness. It looks like we're getting Triple H Jericho, but I hope now if there's a bit of a proper feud 
between Jericho and Triple H, bearing in mind Triple H already has two clean pinfall wins over him. <laughs> said he unguardedly. That The Rock has a chance to run now, maybe until the end of the year, as the babyface champion. If you're going to go with The Rock, then just fucking go with him now, yeah, okay? I don't like that he pinned Vince for it. Absolutely not. And I don't care that it plays into the storyline they're telling. Uh, I know I'm banging my head against the wall to say this, but McMahon family drama should not override the importance of the WWF title, especially as, to his credit, Triple H has played up in his promos how important the belt is to him. I like that, even when he does it. Uh, I just The Rock pinning Vince for the title... Oh, it just yes okay it gets what in the storyline linda's got one over vince because of this because in his hubris he agreed and to this sort of match and put this stipulation on the line but i don't care about that i want to care about who's won the belt and it is the rock in a blah 18 minute match with people who had no business being in a main event and i just hope that if the rock gets the title run he should now get we can forget about this one quickly yeah, I mean, just the whole thing, going back to Judgment Day as well, like, did we need to go back on the finish of Packlash? Or do we, do we need to do that? Wouldn't The Rock be in so such a stronger position here as champion going into the summer? Like, if we just had Backlash as a moment, a great moment, and run with it then? So I'll just he... briefly to interrupt, Chris, just just say, you know, I would have minded slightly less the Rock pinning Vince to win here if the Rock was still the champion. Yes. I still wouldn't have loved it, but I wouldn't have hated it as much as I do. Let's say that. Yes, that is such a great point. Like if the Rock had retained the title at Judgment Day and then you had this match as it was with obviously the convoluted stip flipped somehow, I don't know what you'd have to do to get to that point to book that match but i'm sure they'd come up with some nonsense as they always do um yeah you can do that um and that kind of makes sense in the in the way that then the the judgment day i match is is the is the blow-off for triple h and the rock that's that's the final match in that feud you don't need to have them have another singles match again you've had a 60 minute iron man match like you could have made that mean more by not having just some interference DQ decide that so that we've had an hour's Ironman match that hasn't really told us anything because the feud must continue because nothing was really decided because there was some outside interference. If you don't do any of that and you just have The Rock beat him after a 60-minute Ironman match and then pin Vince here, you vanquished Triple H, you vanquished Vince, the Rock is in a really good position here. I think it, it undercuts The Rock and it undercuts some really great moments we've had this year. Like I, I, I think back to the pay-per-views at the start of the year, and you've got the um, the match between Triple H and um, Mick Foley at the Rumble, and then obviously No Way Out. Like great matches, unbelievable matches, and then WrestleMania was what it was—a um, disappointment. But you rebound from that with backlash and judgment day and you've through that series of pay-per-views you've not only got hunter over as a very credible serious and delivering champion but you've done the same for the rock but now 
have we? Like, have either of those guys ended up at the end of this month better than they were? They like, I think everyone's regressed a little bit in my mind um, from where they could have been coming off of backlash and into Judgment Day. Even Triple H, who like now has won and lost the title again but not been pinned so are we just gonna have like i mean i know it doesn't look we're heading that way but how is triple h not not gonna get a title shot at the next because day? the thing is in the storyline if you want to be absolutely fair and let's face it we have to be in as hard as it is for me sometimes with this guy he has a justifiable right to a title match against the rock again doesn't he yeah, he, he wouldn't I mean, be wrong to ask one in this circumstance. And I, I don't know if the fact that Vince wasn't legal man was intentional. I don't think it was because they didn't play up on it at all. Um, but that is a level to it as well. Not only was he not pinned, but the guy that was pinned wasn't even legal. <laughs> like, it's, that's absurd. Like, how has the hill been so screwed over here? Um, through no fault of his own, it has to be pointed out as well. I think that undercuts The Rock, and it also, like, I don't need to see The Rock v Triple H main event the next pay-per-view. Far be it from me to suggest that, but storyline logic-wise, you're going to have to go some to to keep Triple H out of this title picture. And I don't know if that's good for either man, um, really. I I think a lot of momentum that was built up with that finish at Backlash and could have been capitalised on into Judgment Day has been sort of discarded here we're kind of back to rock feeling not quite as strong a wwf champion as he probably should be but He's then got they... to destroy people now i think the rock has it's still salvageable but he's got to destroy people to get where he should be but then you raise the other potential issue that if he's going to destroy people then that might end up pushing them further down the totem pole as well they've meddled with something they didn't need to meddle with and they've just made more problems for themselves yeah um yeah it's a disappointing title picture and you shouldn't be saying that when a guy as charismatic as popular and as damn right good as the rock has just ended a pay-per-view by becoming the wwf champion but that's how it feels and that's solely lies the blame the blame of that solely lies with the booking committee the people who make the decisions and ultimately vince mcmahon absolutely um, yeah and a very very below par main event i would probably go as far to say is worse than the main event we saw on the insurrection show mm. which was yeah. basically a house show um and even if they weren't always the main events like at the royal rumble obviously the rumble match went on last uh but you had the Hunter Foley match. You've always had this year um, a match that stands out on a WWF pay-per-view. And this was not this for King of the Ring. Just to end the show there, Vince does get back up. That The Rock hits him with the WWF title, knocks him down again, stands on the chest of the fallen Vince McMahon and celebrates some more with his newly won WWF title to bring the show to a close. And that will bring our review of King of the Ring to a close, Rory. Um, we've given plenty of thoughts on the show, but sum them up and, and give this one a score rating out of 10. Yeah, so many mistakes here. So many avoidable mistakes to boot. 
if it wasn't for the fact that in the two big matches, the right person probably won them, and that the Boston crowd weren't as hot as they were, they were probably helped by being in a place like that. And you're looking at a super-duper low grade for this one. But that is scant consolation for the WWF, I'm afraid. I am giving this one a 3 out of 10, and I think it deserves, or doesn't deserve, if you want to look at it that way, every last bit of it. It's easily, their, forget, forget Insurrection, it's easily their worst pay-per-view since Survivor Series. It's worse than Insurrection as well. Yeah, well, it, is. Uh, it is. It worse. is worse. Than, yeah. Ins- Insurrection was a fun enough watch with a fun enough diluted main event. So yeah, out, outright, this is the worst pay-per-view since since Survivor Series and I hoped that an event as bad as Survivor Series 99 was long since in the rearview mirror now and the streak they've been on because even Wrestlemania whilst it wasn't a great Wrestlemania there was still enough memorable and watchable stuff for it to be a decent event it just didn't live up to the name the way it should have done bell to bell it was certainly superior to this one but i hope because this one was such a massive misfire 180 degrees the other way misfire that it will just be seen as an outlier and by the time fully loaded rolls around they will be able to get their act together they've got the in-ring roster to do that they've got the creative team to do that so i just hope that we can write this one off as a bad day at the office. But I really don't want to see too many more anything even remotely like this. So a very, very poor three out of ten. But it might as well be a zero because this just won't cut it anymore, I'm afraid. They should be much, much better than this without even trying. And here they've tried and they've tried way too hard and they've cooked up a bit of a stinker. Yep. Um agree with absolutely all of that the score written on my notes is a three out of ten as well um yeah i mean the right guy leaves with the wwf title but i think he's been undercut a bit from where he should be um the right guy leaves with king of the ring but i don't think it means as much nearly as much as it should um and enthusiasm drained um did not enjoy this show. Comfortably the worst show pay-per-view the WWF have done this year. Please don't remind me of Survivor Series 90. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's the last time we ever have to mention that, trust me. Allow me to congratulate you on once again becoming World Wrestling Federation Champion. Now that's mighty big of Mr. McMahon, you gotta admit. Furthermore... Allow me to wish you good luck in the new rock era. That's even bigger. Why would a man like me say something like that? I'll tell you. That's not the reason. (laughs) No, it's certainly not. That's not the reason at all. Because last night at the King of the Ring, as I lay on my back in the middle of the ring, looking up at the lights of the Fleet Center, 
the pain and discomfort of the rock bottom finally relinquishing its grip on me. It was there last night that I had an epiphany. It was there last night and that flash of clarity. I knew then, I knew all about the questions, questions about my wife, Linda. Uh-oh. Why? And that, and that one moment, why would my wife, why would my wife have been so kind to so many of my adversaries? Why would my wife make business decisions that she knew I wouldn't like? Why would my wife have the temerity to stand up face to face to me, risking the wrath of my retribution? Why? Why, Linda, why? And then it dawned on me in that moment, there could only be one reason why she would do all those things and say all those things. And it's simply because she loves me. What? She loves him? That's some tough love, There can it? be no other reason. And Linda, I love you too. And I'm about to tell you just how much I love you. You see, because Linda, I know that you've been clamoring, almost figuratively begging for my attention, my adoration. And Linda, upon reflection, I'm gonna give you exactly what you want. Because from this moment on, Linda, your life is going to change for the better, and so is mine. Because from now on, no matter how much attention you want, you're going to get it from me. What? No matter how much love, no matter what kind of love, whether or not it's tenderly touching, whether it's rough or ready, it doesn't matter to me, Linda. Rough or ready? No. You're going to get all the love you can handle, and then some. What about the business, Vince? What? The WWF? What? What's he doing? Because, Linda, something else has dawned on me, and that is I have a hunch that not only do you want the adoration, not only do you want my love and affection, but you want the fruits of my love and affection. I have a hunch, Linda, that what you want is another baby. Another baby? Yeah. And Linda, if you want another baby, I'm your genetic jackhammer. What? Oh my gosh, another little Shane or Stephanie running around? Genetic jackhammer? Linda, daddy's coming home. <laughs> so before we uh, wrap up, um, this podcast for the month. I'd like to discuss a couple of developments that take place the following night on Raw. So I mentioned on the pay-per-view that uh, Mick Foley, he said he had a business meeting um, and we learned a bit more about that on Raw. Um, 
First, though, before we get to Mick, this plays into it. Um, we have Vince McMahon and his future to deal with. So the Rock interrupts. Uh, the Rock is cutting a promo, and Vince interrupts him early in the show. He congr- congratulates Rocky for once again becoming WWF champion and wishes him good luck in his new Rock era. Vince says he's looking as he was looking up at the lights last year. He had uh, last night, I should say. He had an epiphany and a flash of clarity. He said he knew all the. It, he knew all the questions about his answers to all the questions he had about his wife, Linda. He wondered why his wife would have been so kind to so many of his adversaries. And why did she constantly make business decisions that she knew he wouldn't like? But the answers dawned on him in that very moment. And it's because she loves him. Vince says he loves Linda too. And Vince says that he knows Linda has been clamoring for Vince's attention. He says from this moment on, Linda's life will change for the better. And no matter how much love or attention she wants, she will get it from Vince. Vince said that Linda's going to get all the love you can handle and then some. And Lawler wondered what this meant for the WWF. Vince claimed that uh, he had a hunch that Linda wants another baby. Uh, And we have the following quote that I'm going to read verbatim. Linda, if you want another baby, I'm your genetic jackhammer. Daddy's coming home. The Rock shook Vince's hand, but had one last thing to say. The Rock said that he, while he is Vince McMahon, the owner of a multi, the multi-millionaire owner of this company, The Rock wants him to know one thing: he will forever be an asshole. That was not bleeped, and The Rock gave Vince a rock bottom, and the fans cheered as The Rock's music played. So, Rory, a couple of months since WrestleMania and Vince's return to WWF TV. Looks like Vince could be about to take another break, but this time for uh, different reasons. Very different reasons. It was so funny on SmackDown hearing straight-laced Michael Cole, who I don't actually think even knows what it's all about yet, if you know what I mean, uh, saying that Vince has taken time off to be with Linda. And it was JR, uh, no, it was Lawler who was nudging him throughout to try to maybe put a bit of flesh on that particular bone. And Cole wasn't having it. Oh, bless him. Yeah, Vince, we said a couple of months ago, when the day after WrestleMania, Vince's heel turned the promo he cut there, that it was all very lackluster. We didn't like the turn itself, it was illogical. Uh, he's done okay. I still get a kick out of seeing Vince on my screen as a heel. And some of his promo work has been quite close to his 98-99 peak. Not quite there, but at the same time, not too far off as well. But if he's going to take a little bit more time off screen to attend to other matters, then right now I'm okay with it. I don't think we need Vince on our screens in the same way we did during 98-99. It's like uh, Bob Colling made the point during your WrestleMania show. We don't need The Rock in the place of Austin feuding with Vince for the next 18 months. So The Rock sending him on his way with a big old rock bottom for X amount of months, years, I think is best for all concerned. And I'm sure Vince can fill the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the less said about that, the better. Oh, yes. Um, But we did get some answers shortly after this about who we could expect to see running things on screen for the WWF shortly after. And we had Shawn Michaels out. We see him for the first time since Judgment Day. Did have a promo on one of the Raws following it, but it was 
immediately after he refereed that main event at Judgment Day. And he's here introduced as the, for the first time in his role as the official WWF spokesperson, whatever that means. He has a major announcement about the number one contendership of the WWF title, apparently. So this brings out Triple H. He's furious, rightfully so, at losing his title despite not being pinned the night before and demands that Sean announce that he is the number one contender. Michael says that he can't argue with anything that Triple H has said because he's entirely right, but there's one small problem. Michaels isn't the commissioner anymore, so he can't make that ruling. Sean said that he is, in to, he is there to introduce the man who could make that decision and introduce the new WWF commissioner, Mick Foley. This got a very big pop. Foley comes out. He thanks Michaels and the fans for that warm welcome. He says that Linda McMahon bestowed upon him certain decisions, uh, including who could be the number one contender for the WWF title. Foley said that he heard Triple H is whining, and as far as being number one contender is concerned, he doesn't know. Uh, Foley says that with Vince gone to be the genetic jackhammer, that means that Foley gets to make the decisions, and he booked a triple threat match later in the show between Kurt Angle, Triple H, and The Rock. If The Rock picked up the win, neither guy got a title shot. But if either of the other two won, then they would become number one contender. And for what it's worth, that match saw The Rock pick up a win, following a rock bottom on Triple H, pinning him one night after he won the title by a pinfall on Vince McMahon. So there's a little bit of closure there too. Aside from that match, Rory, um, what do we make of the return to WWF TV of Mick Foley um, in this commissioner role? Looks like he's going to be on TV um, in the absence of Vince, but also... Hopefully, we'll see more of him as commissioner than we did of Michaels. Yeah, does um, does Shawn Michaels his role as commissioner or spokesperson or whatever they're calling it every couple of months? Does that role exist solely so he can hand over the commissioner role to somebody else? I feel that's all he ever does. Like when the storyline advances, they remember that Sean is the commissioner or whatever, and they drag him back in from whatever else it was he was doing. And judging by his demeanor when he turned out to the ring on that final roar of the month he was doing something very specific solely so somebody else could be the commissioner yes i hope this is the last time we see michaels for a while no i'm no expert but judging by what i saw on my television screens he needs to maybe change his habits let's do that to be charitable anyway foley is back and he is back earlier than even he expected Apparently, the original plan was for Foley to indeed come back as on-screen commissioner, but not until around September or October time. But Vince McMahon, who else, uh, thought that by September or October, the fans would have forgotten who Mick Foley was. Something, something, attention span, something, something. So they rushed it forward to June. But despite Vince being Vince, I'm okay with it on this occasion. Somebody who is going to be there by the looks of things, on every show, I think is important too. It does give a bit of extra importance to the commissioner role, rather than Michaels, who appeared on screen only when he felt like it, in very literal terms. Uh, Foley has already embraced this. He's got the real opportunity here to balance his lovable comedic side with a serious edge so he's merging those two elements of his person his on-screen personality in a way where it is required and where it makes sense uh, he can one minute be 
quoting the Wizard of Oz to Edgen Christian, and the next he can be demanding that there is a triple threat match between people the stature of Triple H, The Rock, and Kurt Angle. And it's only been a week. Uh, right now, I don't see that becoming a schism. I think if anybody can make that differential work, it's Mick Foley. Other than my usual distaste for any form of on-screen authority figure, I feel like I've seen it for a thousand lifetimes when it's only really been about four years or so. I think Mick can make it work. I just hope that he resists any temptation to break retirement again for the second time, because with him, you never know. But if he's doing this, he doesn't even need to try to be entertaining. He just is. I think it was Dan who said, you can't help but smile when you think about Mick Foley at his best. And we are going to get many opportunities on our TV every week to do so. So at least that yet, I don't see the downside here. Um, I, I don't want to bring things down, but I feel like there's one more aspect of WWF TV we saw on the 26th um, that we should discuss. Unfortunately, it involves an over-the-top, off-with-the-top match um, with Dean Malenko representing Terry and uh, Jerry Lawler representing the cat. Um, so the step, yeah, anytime one of the competitors is thrown over the top rope to the floor, a woman of the opponent must remove an article of clothing. I'm not going to talk about the match, but it ended when uh, Malenko charged at Lawler and uh, Lawler gave him a back body drop over the top to the floor. And Jerry Lawler picked up the win after about three minutes. Um, Terry then began to take off her bra. Um, but we had a unexpected return. Um, Stevie Richard showed up. He had a giant sign with the word censored on it. Uh, the fans booed. It got massive heat from the crowd and Lawler was very upset. But yeah, so Stevie Richards is back. He's got his he's got his sign that says censored on it. He's wearing a, a shirt and tie. He he covers up Terry with the sign, censored, and uh Stevie Richards is back on Raw. Rory, what did you make of uh, the return of Stevie Richard? His his nice cardboard sign there with the word censor on it and uh I mean it's not hard to tell where the inspiration for this character came from, but what did you make of all of it? <laughs> no, not indeed. Uh, long-term listeners to this show will know that I've been banging the drum for Stevie for many years. And I did as very happy as I was when he signed with the WWF about a year ago now. I think deep down, even I knew that they weren't going to fast-track him to the WWF title and have him retire with the belt. That, of course, is what should have happened, but we can't have nice things. So any any reason to get Stevie Richards on our TV in the Federation is fine with me. Okay, I would have had, of all the things he can do, as he showed during his BWO days, of all the things he can do, or should do on TV. I've got to say, I had him being a modern-day Mary Whitehouse some way down the list, but nevertheless, his promo where he told the Godfather to clean up his act on the final SmackDown of the week was well done, and I think Stevie is going to be able to pull this off, no pun intended, like anything he can do, because Stevie Richards is the greatest living human being. Back in the real world, he still is though, back in the real world, 
this is all a bit, again, after the horse has bolted. Because the Parents Television Council, for of course it is they being lampooned here, actually seem to have modified their stance on the Federation a bit. These are their comments on the June the 8th Smackdown. Sexual innuendo was at a minimum. Foul language previously used with pride was often bleeped out or kept off the script. Banter between the announcer Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler was the tamest it has ever been. In addition, the WWF aired a public service announcement urging kids to leave the wrestling to the professionals, something not done since the first few months of this show. But Vince McMahon, once again, far too late, is picking a fight. (laughs) He wants to rock with the PTC, for it is they, just at the time where it looks like they might be downing tools. Oh, he sure knows how to choose his moment, doesn't he? Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, (laughs) it's interesting. He's about 18 months too late with this now. Well, I think that's uh, Vince McMahon has his finger on the pulse of popular culture and <laughs> and life outside of the WWF. Like he's famous for that, right? Like, um, yeah, I, I mean that that is classic Vince, the epitome of. Uh, it's just it just sums him up that now is the time that this character would be introduced, and um, I, this is this is in no way meant as a criticism of, of Stevie. I, I wouldn't dare criticize stevie with you on the show rory but um i i mean it's not like they've been saving this character for him i think (laughs) many many a performer could pull this character off not that he isn't very talented and isn't going to give it his best and try and and make something of it and do a good job with it but it's it's not the epitome of stevie um and what we've seen from him in the past. This is a gimmick that you could give to pretty much anyone um, and could have done at any point over the last 18 months. And now is the time. Um, And maybe, maybe I'm wrong because we had that goddamn match on raw, but the last couple of pay-per-views this year haven't been so offensive with, their treatment of women and yeah, there stupid seems to be matches. A bit of an uptick. Yeah. Um, well, Bob, uh, t- take Bubba out of the equation. Yeah, of course. <laughs> to fit um, our argument. The violence a of bit. women has gone up as the sexualization <laughs> has come down. Oh, um, that's not, that's, well, that's all right then. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all saying that WWF are uh, PG or completely child-friendly or or have a clean product because they certainly don't but um the terrible women's matches we've seen um that plagued the wwf for a number of years um and horrible stipulations and treatment of women from in that sense seems to have been winding down a little bit until we got to this on raw um and i my hope is that this was just the way to introduce this stevie character and it's not part of a trend where this sort of thing returns to the forefront of TV um, but yeah it'll be interesting to see where he's go- going with this if we've got a character that is going to be censoring um, and admonishing um, other WWF characters that cross a line um, they'll, he'll have plenty of targets to choose from <laughs> um, shall we say 
And that will do it, I think, for our June WWF uh, episode of the show. Um, Rory, thank you so much, as always, for being a guest. Uh, excellent contributions, great analysis, as always. Um, do you have any, uh, anything to plug, anything you'd like to plug at the end of the show? Thank you, Chris, and great to be here. I think we have proved the truism that the worst shows can often be the most febrile for analysis. <laughs> I think we've definitely proved that here. Uh, in terms of plugs, uh, you can hear me on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. A couple of shows I've got over there. I've got the show The Special Relations, where me and my pals Ben Locke and Callum McDougall uh, look at pro wrestling with a specific British frame of mind, a British flavour with a U, if you will. Uh, we talk a lot of modern wrestling on there, so if you want to hear me talk about the current product, that's the place to go, plus some classic retro stuff as well, because you've got to do that, haven't you? You can also hear my show called Senior Video, in which I march very, very slowly through all 70 of the home video classics currently available on the WWE Network. Uh, when this show goes out, Volume 4 should indeed have landed, where you will be able to hear me talking about the Hulk Hogan Real American VHS for a real change of pace there. So I'm running the gamut of pro wrestling discussion, if you will. You're all over the place these days, Roy. I, I just could not stay pinpointed 20 years ago. And from 2020 back to uh, Hulk Hogan, Nikolai Volkov from Saturday night's main event in October 85. Now, that's where I'm going these days. So be sure, dear listener, to check out all of those uh, to hear more of Rory, more great analysis and wrestling insight. Um, and I have been your host, Chris White. Thank you very much for listening um, and sticking with me. We had a couple of delays in recent months, as I say, all my fault. Back on track now, um, getting this show with you a few days late, but certainly not as egregious as May. Um, and we will be back on course uh, for July through the rest of the year for the WWS. So thanks for sticking with us during during those times. And uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the show. And until next time, goodbye.